a long, long time ago. Well, circa 1985 to be exact. In a galaxy far, far away. Breathitt County, Kentucky to be exact. Two kids entering kindergarten found each other through not the force, but by sure coincidence that they were of the same age and entering school together. Over the next 38 years, these two people would share countless memories and a mutual love for that galaxy far, far away. And on today's episode, they come together to discuss all 11 live-action Star Wars films. They will talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. This is that one show, the Star Wars special. Viewer discretion advised. Welcome to a special non-music edition of that one show with Brian Combs. It is the Star Wars special. And if you've listened to the show before, you've heard me name check my guest many times and call him out to be a guest on the show many times. And I finally wrangled him. One of my oldest and best friend in this world, John Thompson, is with us today. How are you, John? I am good, and I am nervous to be on this show. I've put this off, and now that you have an audience that spans the globe, now I find myself in front of your mic. You should have come on last year when only like 15 people were listening. <laughs> That's what I get for procrastinating. Yes. But John and I, and I don't and I don't say this just to be saying it, he's truly, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, if you're being related to someone, you're obviously family, but sometimes you can choose family. And John and I go back for almost 40 years now. And he's truly my brother, my lifelong best friend, one of my constants in my life through all his ups and downs. And he and I, from the day we've met, have shared a mutual love of Star Wars. And what better subject to talk about today that now that I finally have him on the show. John, uh, you and I go back pr pretty much to the first day that we were in kindergarten together, correct? Actually, farther. I was going through my mom's photos one day, and you were at my third birthday party. Well, I don't remember that. <laughs> but if, I, if she, there's photographic proof, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we do really go back like 39 years then. We do. <laughs> uh, so pretty much our entire life, we grew up roughly just a mile from each other, went through school all the way from kindergarten to high school graduation together. We'll get into some stuff, but later on, uh, some of the ventures we've shared because of Star Wars, like skipping school the day The Phantom Menace came out. We'll talk in depth about that later, but let's talk in general about Star Wars, the franchise. And do you remember the first Star Wars movie you ever watched? I do. Uh, it was actually, uh, believe it or not, it was the Empire Strikes Back with uh, a scene. I, the, my earliest memory of Star Wars is when uh, Luke meets Yoda for the first time. Nice. The very, my earliest memory, my, now my dad says that I watched New Hope and Empire Strikes Back when I was like three, but my the first time I actually remember sitting down and watching the entire Star Wars, it was Return of the Jedi 
on VHS tape when Dad bought our first uh, VCR when I was like probably five or six. And I've, you know, been in love with it, you know, pretty much since then. We'll get into it. I want to go over what we're doing today. If you listen to my Batman special, it's pretty much the same format here. John and I are going to collaboratively rank all 11 live-action Star Wars films. So the Clone Wars movie that's animated that was released in theaters is not eligible. This is just episodes 1 through 9 as well as Rogue One and Solo, the two Star Wars stories that Disney produced. And... Uh, John is going to do start us off in a minute with number 11. We do each have at our disposal if we want to use it a veto in case someone plays a particular film we really like lower than what we would want it. We can veto it higher on the list later on. I will warn you ahead of time when John and I get going and we are not filtered, uh, things can get a little crazy and we will definitely probably be earning our explicit label especially when we talk about one movie in particular that's probably going to be kicking off our list at, at the bottom here in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John and I have seen, I guess we saw all three prequels and episodes seven and eight together in theater, right? That's right. Yes. And we will talk all about all those movies as well as the other films in depth in a moment. Do you have anything that you want to add, John, before... We get into the actual meat and potatoes of the episode and discuss each episode and whatever comes across our minds. Actually, yes. Okay. Um, My wife made me promise to give the kids a shout out. So, Krista, here that is. Aiden, Taylor, Savannah, Piper, I love you guys. You probably don't want to listen listen to the rest of this until you're at least, I don't know, 25 (laughs) years old or maybe (laughs) wait until I'm dead so I don't have to uh, explain myself. (laughs) Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll go along that line. Mom, just skip this episode. <laughs> you don't need to hear anything, and uh, you don't have. And you can come back next week when Dixie and I do 90s Country. So if you're easily offended, or if you're under the age of 18, <laughs> be careful. And if you have kids in the room, you may want to listen to this one on your uh, AirPods or, or earbuds or whatever. And uh, definitely don't listen to this at work. <laughs> So we'll take a very brief break for like 15 seconds and we'll come back and kick things off on our Star Wars special at number 11, the worst Star Wars movie of all time, at least according to myself and my best friend, John Thompson. All right, John, without further ado, buddy, number 11, the very bottom of this list. Uh, What do you have for us? Okay, well... um... I'd like the listeners to note that Brian has given us very specific parameters with this. It, it's limited to theatrical releases only. But even with that being said, <laughs> even if the Star Wars Christmas special was eligible to be at the bottom of my list, I still would not put it there. I would, yeah, yeah. Even the Ewok films, both of those would be higher than this shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, dubious honor of being lowest on this list, and and th- there's no debate between the two of us. At least it's got to be Ruin Johnson's The Last Jedi. Yep, uh, 2017, and somehow earned almost a billion and a half dollars at the box office. Somehow, right? Uh, you know, if there was ever a Star Wars movie that came with a trigger warning and actually this one did because of the scene which i think where it's there's just no sound for a couple of seconds when uh 
Admiral Holdo smashes her uh, cruiser at light speed into uh, the Empire, the real trigger warning should have been that, you know what, your best friend is probably going to be extremely upset after watching <laughs> this. This is the only film I've ever watched with you where I was actually worried about your emotional state as you left the theater. Yes. <laughs> Continue on. Um, we were mortified. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we saw all kinds of shit in this movie that really did not sit well with us. Uh, you know, we probably should have knew that something was up whenever Princess Leia leaps out of an exploding uh, spaceship to fly like Mary Poppins to safety. Uh, Luke Skywalker is uh, takes a break from teaching the ways of the Force to uh, Ray to drink some blue milk that he hand milks from <laughs> some awkward looking aliens. And then uh, <laughs> he just... He doesn't ever show up to the final fight. He just decides to, to he just fucks off and and levitates and then just uh literally phones it in. Phones it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, um this is uh you know, this is a film where Ryan Johnson went on record saying that he wanted to <laughs> end the series with that film, probably his asshole. It's the middle film of a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Well he... I'll say this. You you mentioned that we probably knew something was up, you know, with, with Leia, just, you know, force flying like Mary Poppins. But we probably should have knew something up because, you know, and we'll get to this movie in a minute, but The Force Awakens literally ended with the cliffhanger of Ray stretching out her hand, trying to hand, you know, Luke's lightsaber back to him. And that son of a bitch just throws it over his shoulder. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you talk about some symbolism. That, that, that's Ryan Johnson telling us we're about to shit all over your favorite movies. <laughs> yes, and you know I've got only got one good thing to say about this film, period, and that's the throne room battle, in which you know uh, Kylo Ren and Ray uh, temporarily join forces, take old Snope out, and the and you know the royal guards. Right. That's a pretty badass five minutes in a two and a half hour movie. So the other two hours and 25 minutes are pure shit. Right. It is badass. Um, except, uh, you know, they kill Snoke, who was made out to be, you know, King Turd of Shit Mountain, and he's dead by the middle of the movie. And that's pretty much about his only scene in the movie, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and John didn't lie. We saw this together in Moorhead, and for our listeners outside of Kentucky, uh, that's where I went to uh, to college, and it's probably about 25, 30 minutes from John and about an hour from my house. And John legitimately was worried for me on the way home. We watched a late show, and so we got out of the theater at 11. And he would text and call me about every 15 minutes to make sure I hadn't wrecked my car at anchor <laughs> on my drive home. And luckily, I made it home, but my anger did not subside for a few days. And this is the only Star Wars film that was released, you know, as far as the prequels and the sequels go, that I didn't go back and watch for a second time in the theater. And I didn't even watch it for a while after it came out on, you know, DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, matter of fact, I only rewatched it in its entirety for the first time uh, about three or four weeks ago preparing for this episode. And I, when I say it's entirety, I still had to skip the hard sections of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, for whatever reason, uh, you know, totally a throwaway 30-minute plot of, of you know, a casino. 
And God love him, Benicio del Toro. I don't know what he's doing in this film with his stutter and ticks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with him? <laughs> that, that, that's the way it goes with the Ryan Johnson movie. And uh, he's a good actor, sadly. And you know, Ryan Johnson up into this movie made some films I really liked. A couple of them. <laughs> but I don't know what. He literally made a film. As of just a giant middle finger to Star Wars fans, and I think, and I wholeheartedly believe that was his intention. Uh, he wanted to, you know, advert all of our expectations. Uh, and this is the polar opposite of, you know, some people say, "Well, that's just fan service." Well, what's wrong with that? The fans is what's kept the franchise afloat for the last forty years by buying tickets, buying movies, buying merchandise, spending, you know, billion, literally billions of dollars collectively on Star Wars. Why would you want to screw those folks over? Exactly. I mean, if anything, the prequels, episodes one, two, and three, that's fan service. We know that Anakin Skywalker turns bad. We didn't necessarily need to see that play out, but we love that shit. Yes. And this makes, I mean, all three of the prequels look like, you know, uh, Citizen Kane. Yes, the Godfather trilogy. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing I've got to mention that I hated it, and this thing, this is probably what I hate most about the movie, any scene. So Kylo Ren has showed up with his reinforcements, and it's kind of like the Rebels' last stand, right? And God love him, Finn is going to sacrifice himself and blow up this, basically this, you know, mobile miniature Death Star weapon that they've got. Right. And Rose Tico, God almighty, maybe the worst character, in, you know, made, you know, Non like you know minor cameo character in the entire franchise. In my Gives opinion. Jar Jar a run for his money. I I think that she's I would pick Jar Jar over her because God help him. He well we'll get to him in a minute. But you know instead of just letting him sacrifice himself, she stops him. And how does she stop him? By hitting him head on with another <laughs> another speeder, which could have killed them both, <laughs> and probably should have. So instead of letting him sacrifice himself, she literally takes the chance of killing him to, to stop him from basically saving the day. Yes. <laughs> she basically just emasculates him so that she can doom them all to being uh, murdered by this portable Death Star, which really that's only averted by the phone-in appearance of Luke Skywalker. Yes, and I, I don't understand that. I mean... Especially, spoiler alert, if you've not watched any of these films, I don't know why you're listening anyway, but I mean, Luke, quote-unquote, dies at the end of this film or becomes one with the Force. So if you know that's his last hurrah, why not let him go out with a bang? But you literally have him phoning it in while he's just levitating and basically doing some kind of, you know, you know, meditation just, you know. <laughs> right, he's doing some kind of weird astral projection or something like that. I guess. And we should have, you know, I didn't even realize it, but, you know, he looked a little younger and a lot less disheveled in that scene when he showed up uh, to fight, but I didn't even realize it. You realize he's a, basically a projection or a force ghost. What, they never really fully explain it. Wait, so hold on a minute. So are you telling me that uh, Luke Skywalker actually used an Instagram filter whenever he appeared via the force? He did. He did. He, he de-aged himself by like 20 years. <laughs> and here's another thing. And, and, and you know, I actually misspoke a while ago about Rose Tico. My biggest gripe with this film is this. Luke Skywalker, through the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, was the one man that never gave up on Darth Vader, a.k.a. Anakin Skywalker. Right. 
the probably the most evil being in the you know basically the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> Literally killed little Padawans, you know, with his lightsaber and force choked them and whatnot in Revenge of the Sith, and has killed you know uncountable people. Right. It blew up a a planet. Blew up a fucking planet. Yeah. Just for, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> And he doesn't give up on him, but he just senses the dark, uh, a little bit of the dark side in his own damn nephew and wants to kill him in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's no way that Luke Skywalker would do that at all. No. None. Zero chance. But he's going to come in all crazy eyed in the middle of the night and try to <laughs> try to chop his own nephew's head off <laughs> at age like 11 or 12 uh, because he senses that he may have a little bit of dark, you know, the dark side in him. <laughs> Kylo, I'm really disappointed to find that roach in your uh, uh, sock drawer, but so that's why I'm calling the cops. And we and we'll get into this. No wonder that Kylo turned into you know basically an emo Darth Vader fanboy. I mean, his uncle, who is was his you know introduction into the Force, and he's basically you know his master or and his trainer tried to kill him in the middle of the night. Right, and that's the light side for you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add about this, you know, this crime against humanity <laughs> that is <laughs> the last Jedi? The less said about it, the better at this point. I've, I feel like I've uh, exercised a few demons here talking about that, but <laughs> the less I think about that movie, the better. Yeah, and, I'll, and it ends basically with a no-name character just calling up a damn broom to himself. <laughs> <laughs> A, a whole five-minute coda at the end of this guy just just sweeping out uh, basically a stable, stepping around like you know alien shit and whatnot, and right, and he just calls the broom to himself, and instead of acting like it's a lightsaber, he just keeps on sweeping. Yeah. <laughs> so the force can give quality of life improvements to everybody, including stable hands and yes. shoveling shit. Yeah. So if you are a janitor, try to try to use the force to clean next time. That's that's the whole takeaway from this movie. But we will. Play a clip from this movie and then come back in with number 10. I want every gun we have to fire on that man. Do it. Okay, so at number 10, and I hate to pile on the sequels, but uh, I have to do The Rise of Skywalker. And I'm only going to put about 25% of the blame on this one to J.J. Abrams, and I'm still going to give 75% of the blame to Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson. Because you talk about a guy getting painted into a corner. Right. I mean, and in reality, it may be the best they could have done, given the situation that they were coming out of with The Last Jedi. I mean... <sighs> And I don't fully understand why they didn't let J.J. Abrams just do all three of them, really. Uh, and the original plan was to have three different directors, right? Right. 
uh, which is just too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. And that's that's further compounded by the idea these people, Lucasfilm and Disney decide they're going to play a billion dollar game of telephone where one director writes out his treatment, doesn't consult with the other two. Somebody else picks it up, you know, midstream and then in hand, and it was intended to be handed off to a third person. That's a recipe for disaster if there ever, ever was one in constructing a narrative. Yeah, that's like, you know, for the people of John I's age, sometimes in school they would put everybody in the class in a circle and one person would whisper in one guy's ear and all the way down the line it got to the 30th person and the shit would be totally different than what started it was called like secret or whatever right and that that's basically where we're at with this franchise at this point now there were a couple things i liked about it uh some good sequences but overall i don't i i, I will admit when they first showed the the teaser trailer for this one and you heard palpatine's voice i was excited but damn i don't even know what he was in this film <laughs> he was like uh he was in my mind, he was symbolic of the film. He was half-baked. Motherfucker was like, <laughs> wasn't even completely like formed and shit. I mean, he technically, I don't even think he was alive. I think it was basically his just rotted out carcass. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> zombie Palpatine, I guess. I guess so. And then they had a, you know, the CGI was horrible in this film. Especially, especially for some, the money that Disney has. They, I mean, they made over a billion dollars on both of the movies that, you know, preceded this one. And they had like an arena full of Sith cheering on, you know, the final fight between Ray, Kylo, and Palpatine. And if you go back 20 years to Attack of the Clones that we'll talk about later, they have an arena scene. And the CGI looks better than that than it did this, in my opinion. I agree. I agree 100%. I don't know, man. Uh the one thing I do like about it, we mentioned her a while ago, Rose Tico. She's not in this very much, so that was a win for me. Right. Uh, and I was glad to see Han Solo come back. And I don't know if he was technically a Force ghost or what. I guess they left that up to the viewer. I'd always suspected that he was Force sensitive, you know, throughout the original trilogy, although it was, you know, not not ever confirmed. But... What do you think? Do you think he was a forced ghost, or do you think Kylo was just imagining everything in his head? I think, um, I think probably it was just uh, the imagination of Kylo. You do bring up an interesting point, though, as far as like uh, Rose, who I, I think was a bad character. I don't really take issue with the actress who played her. I think she was just a badly written you character. Can't, uh, the, you can't sign. You can't shine shit. No, you can't. <laughs> so no, it's not her fault. I mean, what did she have to work with? Nothing, you like you said, and uh, just like Benicio del Toro, you know, with we mentioned a while ago, which is one, you know, one of the best actors of his generation. I mean, I hate to step on it, but you know, Harrison Ford told George Lucas at one time, "You don't have to say this shit when it comes to his dialogue." Right? Yeah, you can write <laughs> this shit, but you can't. Say, yeah, but you're not the one having to say it. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, do you? What did you have this on your personal list, uh, John? This is, uh, I'm in lockstep agreement with okay. you on this one. So we're we're actually in agreement for 11 and 10. Uh, there's not a whole lot I like about this. It's not nearly the, the atrocity and the crime of the previous film that we already discussed. And uh, I don't, I, they were really painted in a corner because I'm sure they had a plan for what Ray was who she could have been related to. And Ryan Johnson basically just threw her in a goddamn hall of mirrors. 
<laughs> right. And come out and blatantly said she was nobody. And I don't, there's no doubt that that was not the plan from the, you know, the original plan when they started working on this sequel trilogy. So they basically had to make her a Palpatine. <laughs> Pretty much. They had to explain why a girl living in the middle of a desert had a, an English accent, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. The one thing about Rise of Skywalker is um, that this film made me realize that uh, Lucasfilm should have watched Lost to, and they could have come up with the conclusion, which you and I did long ago, which is J.J. Abrams is amazing at making mysterious beginnings, and he's pretty terrible at making endings for his stories. He is. He is. And there, a lot of these movies are the same way. Uh, there's a lot I like about uh, his film Super 8. I think you all saw that. I think we saw that in the theater together. We did. Uh, but you are spot on. 90% of the time, he's, he doesn't stick to landing. Uh, the beginning and the middle acts for most of his stories are fantastic, but he just he just has trouble with an ending. Uh, but like I said, I don't really put 100% of this on his shoulders. I mean, I don't know where you could have went, you know, to successfully finish the sequel trilogy. Uh, given what you had to work with coming out of The Last Jedi. No, no. And here's the other thing. And again, again, we can't talk about this movie without trashing The Last Jedi, but we kind of have to because uh, I think The Last Jedi's were the plot lines for uh, Ray and Finn get just uh, annihilated. There is really no kind of... Uh, climax or any kind of resolution for those two characters. I mean, Finn basically gets abandoned in The Last Jedi, and his situation doesn't improve in uh, The Rise of Skywalker. John Boyega was very vocally angry about uh, oh, yeah. how poorly written Finn was. Well, here's the thing I was really disappointed at, because, you know, he used a lightsaber in The Force Awakens. So, there was to me, there was no doubt set up that he was going to be, you know, a Force user. Right. And they just never explored that again. No, never again. He goes on a fucking casino junket in uh, The Can Last Jedi. Canto Blight, was that the name of the planet? Yeah, Canto yeah. Blight, that's it, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, they, you know, the new character, the new, you know, Core 3, Poe Dameron, Finn, and Ray, they... Their characters just got worse as the, the sequel trilogy went by. And again, I put, you know, the most of the blame on that on old Ryan Johnson. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, but getting back to this, there, unbelievably, there are people out there who say Rise Skywalker is the best of all heaven films. They're a minority, but they're a vocal minority. Yeah, they're very passionate about that. And you know what? Uh, if J.J. had not... Uh, you know, giving into his obsession with kind of dredging up and remixing, you know, other people's shit like, I don't know, Palpatine. He could have made Kylo into a great badass villain, uh, but which is kind of what it seemed like Ryan Johnson was trying to do. But uh, instead, he literally just, you know, <laughs> trots out Palpatine, who can't even walk at this point and expects us to buy him as a, uh, you know, a menacing uh, threat to the galaxy. And let's, let's talk about that. We'll talk about you know, the episodes four, five, and six, obviously later, but the pinnacle of those films is Vader finally saying enough's enough and killing old Palpatine. And you lessen that by bringing that old bastard back in whatever form you brought him back in. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand that decision at all. Uh, 
And like I said, the arena scene's horrible. I mean, the CGI, you can tell when a, when a movie, especially a modern movie, is doing CGI and they don't want to spend a lot of money on it, they make it really dark. And I don't mean like dark as in the, the content. I'm talking about like the actual, you know, resolution on that on the screen. And that damn scene's so dark, you can't even hardly make out shit. It's going on. No, no, it, it makes the damn, uh, you know, the long night scene in Game of Thrones that everybody, you know, is pissed off about look like it was brightly lit. Holy hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes it look like a Pixar film. Right. <laughs> yeah, you. I don't really have a whole lot, of, you know, to add about Rise of Skywalker. I will ask you this. We got one more of the sequel films to talk about later but i have come to the conclusion you you and i i remember when news broke that disney had bought the franchise and they were going to do three no movies you and i were over the moon we were i mean i was what we were in our mid-30s at the time we were i mean i popped a boner <laughs> i was so excited but in retrospect i almost wished it never happened man agreed but the one uh I, we're not going to talk about the tv shows Damn it! Why didn't they just give Dave Fellini the the reins? I know from the yeah. get go. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, did they have a thing against men wearing uh, hats all the time? Because that's really the, my only complaint against Dave Filoni. I mean, he knows the lore. Um, he is very passionate about the source material, and I know this shit isn't Shakespeare, but I mean, for God's <laughs> sake, hire somebody that doesn't want to take a, a flamethrower to the franchise like Ryan Johnson did. Yeah, I mean, it's like hiring, you know a lifelong Bengals fan to be the GM of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's not, he's probably going to sabotage them <laughs> and just sign the worst players in the NFL. Right. <laughs> You're not going to do that. But I mean, with a fraction of the resources and budget, he has knocked it out of the park with, you know, most of the TV shows on Disney plus. Right. Uh, but that's, you know, another subject for another day. But in retrospect, I, I, I think you and I, and a lot of the fans are in agreement. He, they should have just, giving him a blank check and said, you know, make the sequels. Right. Agreed. Uh, hell, I would rather saw whatever George Lucas, because he said he always had, some, uh, you know, basically some notes and a treatment for the three mills. And they were, and when he met with them, they didn't even listen to a word he said. Right. Do you remember reading that article? I do, yeah. He, they could give a shit. Now, I, I don't uh, know what he had planned, but I'm sure it had to be better than the <laughs> shit sandwich that Disney cooked up for us for the 7, 8, and 9. Yes, a, a burnt shit sandwich at that. Right. <laughs> well, we'll play a clip from Rise of Skywalker and then we'll get back with John's pick at number 9. Palpatine wants you dead. Serving another master? No. I have other plans. Offered you my hand once. You wanted to take it. Why didn't you? You could have killed me. Why didn't you? You can't hide, Ray. Not from me. I see through the cracks in your mask. You're haunted. You can't stop seeing what you did to your father. Do you still count the days since your parents left? Such pain in you, such anger. I don't want to have to kill you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to turn you to the dark side. All right, John, we've pretty much shit all over the sequel trilogy already, at least two of the three films in it. And we've not mentioned any of the prequels, and we've not any mention of the original trilogy yet. 
I don't know if that changed now, but what do you have at number nine? Well, yeah, we have been sitting on the trilogy, and I must have diarrhea because I'm about to shit all over The Force Awakens. Okay. That's what I've got for my number nine. All right. I have it at number eight, so I'm not, not going to waste my veto on it at all just to move it up one position higher. So we'll go ahead and talk about it now. Uh, feel free to unleash on it, brother. Okay. All right. So um, you and I, I remember whenever the, the, the first trailer dropped – for this movie we were so excited and that's the thing about star wars trailers anytime one of them drops everybody starts reading all kinds of stuff into it right i mean um and the title the force awakens at the end of return of the jedi we're led to believe and actually george wanted us to believe that anakin skywalker had restored balance to the force that was the entire purpose of everything right that was the reason <laughs> he existed was to you know destroy the sith which ironically he did by killing himself and his boss at the same time. <laughs> kind of like saying Hitler's the real hero of World War II because he's the one who shot Hitler. But I digress. <laughs> what was his girlfriend's name? Ava Brown? Right. Yeah, yeah. So basically you're saying that Vader and Palpatine are the Hitler and the Ava Brown of the Star Wars. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hitler is the guy who killed the leading Nazi. Well, we'll get into this later, but Hitler only had one testicle. And we have a theory about Vader that we'll discuss later yeah. that he didn't have any testicles or a dick. Well, I digress. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm sorry for leading us far afield with that comment, but with The Force Awakens, with the trailer dropped, you see um, all kinds of mysterious shit. And again, this is J.J. Abrams' stock in trade. The thing that struck out to me the most, though, was the shot of Finn rising into the frame, like waking up immediately. And this is called the force awakens. Mm -hmm. And you see this guy who's clearly in stormtrooper armor. And then you see him wielding a lightsaber later. Oh, yeah. And I'm reminded of like the biblical story of Saul becoming Paul, this guy who is probably, you know, oppressing people, yep. basically becoming a hero. Yep. And as you alluded to earlier, Within this film itself, Ryan Johnson didn't even need to step in to fuck that one up. J.J. did it himself. He does. Uh, Finn goes from being this guy who, you know, feels called to go and fight the Empire or the First Order, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, uh, only for that to be, you know, dropped as a storyline. And suddenly, Ray, who is a Mary Sue, for those of you who don't know, a Mary Sue is a character written by somebody who gives them no kind of character flaw and really no opportunity for growth and development. No arc. No arc at all. She just jumps in and starts whooping ass against this guy who is a direct descendant of the goat, Anakin Skywalker, and she just owns him with no force training, no lightsaber training. It is just uh, crazy. That being That's some bullshit. It is. It is some bullshit. Uh, JJ does throw in enough fan service, like we get to see the the shot of the the X wings flying in to save the day. But I mean, it's just a very superficial remix of probably a lot of the things that people enjoyed from the first trilogy. Well, it's basically you know a rip off a remake of a New Hope. It is uh, without Luke's arc of getting stronger with the Force as the movies go along, because like you just said. Ray is just, you know, one one of the one or two most powerful force wielders in the galaxy from the get-go. Right, with no training. None whatsoever. Nothing. Yeah, there isn't even, you know, Luke, at least in A New Hope, got the scene where he was getting his ass shocked to death by that, you know, uh, 
that drone, you know, he's trying to wield that lightsaber. He's getting fucking owned by that thing while Obi-Wan's like, yeah, you got a lot to learn, kid. Yeah, and he never really fought with a lightsaber at all either in that film. Really, the only time he uses the Force is, you know, the you know, is on the Death Star run. Right. When he blows that shit up. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, yeah, and I'll say this, too. Uh, I don't understand at all on how they – but I'm guessing Harrison Ford – said the only way i'm coming back is if you kill me <laughs> i'm right. not doing three films i'm just going to give you basically three scenes right. and i'm out what did you think about because i don't I, we've discussed who our favorite characters are in the you know the entire franchise and han solo was my number one i just love that character he's been my he's been my dude since you know i was five or six years old started watching this shit but did, what did you think about his death scene You know, um, again, this is JJ. He makes some kind of uh, mysterious uh, intimations that there's more than meets the eye here, but there really isn't more than meets the eye. Kylo is like, I, I don't know. I'm drawn towards the light. Uh, sorry about this, Dad. Boom. He just, you know, <laughs> I know what I have through. to do. Yeah. Didn't do it. <laughs> he just, uh, you know, decides to stab his old man on the uh, the walkway. And, you know, to his credit, Chewie don't stand for that shit for one second. He just fucking off <laughs> and shoots him with a, uh, you know, the uh, bowcaster bolt, which was launching stormtroopers. Yes. And Kylo takes that. He takes that shit and basically just gets a flesh wound from and it. And just, you know, pounds his chest. And I'm thinking, oh, God, <laughs> could this be, is he, because he is such a Vader fanboy, did he already start going, you know, cyborg or something yes. like that? Because uh, you know, flesh and blood humans aren't taking that shit lightly, and he he just you know with armor like a, on. Yeah, he eats it like a champ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, coming out of this movie, Kylo was by far my favorite character of the the new characters, and they just like everything else, he had diminishing returns as a, the sequel trilogy went along. But Adam Driver's a hell of an actor, and I've got to mention here Captain Phasma, which was a badass character just by the looks of her especially in the trailers. And when word got out, you and I are both uh, Game of Thrones friends, that Gwendolyn Christie was playing her. Right. I was hyped for that. I was hyped for, you know, uh, you know, a big, brutish female stormtrooper wearing, you know, basically a silver uniform. And they totally wasted her too, man, through the whole damn thing. All of it, even even in her, with when she dies later on. Yeah, greater disservice to her character than even the original trilogy's Boba Fett. I would agree. Yes, definitely. At least he got eaten by Sarlacc. Right. <laughs> he had a memorable death, at least. <laughs> she kind of just falls. Right. <laughs> so she basically dies in the equivalent of an accident at the goddamn Quaker State. You know, just I, I think she falls down like a you know a, a hydraulic ramp. Yeah, yeah. She that's that's all she does. She's basically working at a factory and falls. <laughs> It's, her death is basically an OSHA report. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I will, I am biased when it comes to Star Wars, and I want to love it. I want. I don't want to go into a movie walking away and saying I didn't like that. And it had been so long. And for the longest time, we didn't really think we'd ever see new Star Wars. So I walked out of this movie happy, and I went back and watched it a couple more times in the theater. And then I started realizing there was... Nothing under the surface, really. Uh, but by God, it's still the best of the, <laughs> the sequel trilogy. But that's like saying you're the least smelliest piece of shit in the toilet. 
It, it's like saying you're valedictorian of special ed. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't know how often I'll go back and revisit any of these films because there's so much better Star Wars material out there now. And like we alluded to earlier, and we're going to talk about some of them soon. Really, I went back when COVID hit and we had to work from home for the first three months. I rewatched the sequel trilogy, you know, in order for the first time in years. And that was after all three of these films had came out. And the stench of these films gave me a whole new appreciation of the prequels. And made me realize they were a lot better than what a lot of folks said at the time back in the 90s and early 2000s. I agree with you 100%. Uh, George, he at least knew what the fuck he was trying to do. <laughs> I mean, they're not perfect by any means. But if you held a gun to my head and said, you got to watch one trilogy, episodes one, two, or three, or seven, eight, nine, which ones were you watching today? Without hesitation, I'm watching the, the prequels. Right. No doubt about it. And we'll talk about those in a minute. Do you have anything else you want to add about The Force Awakens? Or are we going to close that chapter of this book and then get into... The other two trilogies. Let's turn the page. All right. So here's a clip from J.J. Abrams' The Force Awakens, and we will come right back with our next pick. Chewing. We're home. All right. So... For number eight, I've got the film I had ranked at nine. So it and, you know, the film we just talked about, Force Awakens, were right there. Pretty interchangeable. Uh, you and I discussed before we got started, we pretty much both have a, a clear-cut, you know, bottom and top of the list. And the other movies are kind of interchangeable just a little bit. But I'm going with uh, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, a film that you and I watched opening weekend together, uh, just like we did, The Phantom Menace. And it's... You know, to me, um, I just mentioned that I rewatched the prequel trilogy for the first time a long time, a couple of years ago in, in 2020. Uh, and it's just a little slow in the middle, drags a little bit, but there's a lot I like about it. I, we mentioned the arena scene right. at the climax, which is awesome. I love the, the character of Grievous. Yes. General Grievous. And I really like Christopher Lee's uh, character that they introduced in this film, too. Uh, and... There's a little bit creepiness to it, given the fact that, you know, you're coming from a film in which Anakin was, what, like seven? Right. And he's trying, and he's macking, and she's open to, you know, a romantic relationship with this kid that she's <laughs> quite a bit older than. Yeah, I mean, if she were in Florida today, she'd be, you know, arrested right now for having sex with one of her high school students. Yeah. Yeah, she would. But, I mean, I don't. And they frolic, you know, out in the lilies of the field and whatnot. And that's kind of ham-handed a little bit. But there is a lot I like about this film. Uh, it's still a lot better than anything Disney's put out on the big screen. As far, But there are two Disney films that we haven't talked about that's outside of the actual sequel trilogy. Uh, so I, let me correct myself saying it's better than any of the actual sequels. Not necessarily a Star Wars story that we'll get to. Uh, what do you like and what do you not like about Attack of Clones? And where did you have it on your list? 
Uh, I had it at number eight. Okay. Uh, so we've, we've been pretty close so far together. Yeah. And listen, people, I, I do have an independent opinion. I, I'm not just <laughs> going along with Brian just to get on his show. Well, hold on just a minute, though, because you and I creepily, even though sometimes we will be hundreds of miles apart, We'll be having the same thoughts about shit throughout our life at the exact same time. We both rented the movie Crank at the same time. Same day and time. And this was, you know, pre, you know, the word, you know, smartphone. Right. Uh, it was basically the old Razor flip phones. And we literally watched it without knowing within minutes of each other and texted each other, say, hey, you got to watch this shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love it. Heard <laughs> who has a mind meld pretty much. <laughs> Since the day that he and I were at a sleepover together and we're the last ones to go to sleep. And to this day, we I've searched YouTube far and wide. And I don't think this actually exists. But I'll be damned if we didn't see a Quaker Oats commercial at about 3 a.m. circa, what, 93, 92? <laughs> yes. In which a guy goes outside in the middle of winter in basically a blizzard. And his daughter locks him out and is laughing at him. Yeah, after she sent his ass out for the kittens. Yes, so he he brings the kittens back in, and he all's well and good, and he's making himself a nice big old pot of oatmeal to warm himself up, and he throws those damn kittens and come and bulls that shit in his oatmeal and eats it. <laughs> While the daughter wails in agony. I mean, you think it's an A24 movie at this point. <laughs> and I don't know if we hallucinated that, or it was just so risque for the time that it's been scrubbed from all existence. <laughs> or what but we've shared a mind since that night <laughs> i have a, a separate theory i think we got abducted by aliens that night and that's how that's the uh corrupted memory they've tried to implant to replace that yeah of all things <laughs> but i digress let's get back into attack of the clones <laughs> right so you were asking me what are my my likes and dislikes of this what i liked about it um first off uh Django fett Yes. I mean, we finally, George actually gives us some fan service. We see, you know, young Boba Fett. And yes. he just doesn't do a meat and potatoes. Oh, he was a bounty hunter like his father before me. He was a clone. He was literally his father. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And for those that have not, you know, seen this film in a long time, basically all the clone troopers and then the stormtroopers were clone of one man. Right. Django Fett. And he kept one clone for himself to raise as a son, which was Boba. Right. Um... That's an odd sperm bank fee, but <laughs> that was all he wanted, apparently, according to those uh, weird aliens that basically, I think, were the uh, prototype for all of uh, Apple's aesthetics. Everything was just clean and white. And oh, yeah. It was basically an Apple store before an Apple store. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I liked that um, we do get to see uh, young Anakin. Um we get to see a little bit of what it what it was like to have to raise Anakin, for lack of a better word, for Obi Wan. He was a pain in the ass. He was. He was. He was uh, cocksure and headstrong, and you know that kind of that kind of tracks with the way Vader is eventually. But um, that was good. Uh, Christopher Lee was excellent as Count Dooku. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for those that don't really know who he is, he acted in a lot of horror movies. From basically the late 40s all the way through the 70s. Uh, Dracula, right. things of that nature. And he he was badass in this film. And he had to be pushing 80, I guess, by the time. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, that may be one of my favorite character, new characters from the prequel trilogies, Doku. And 
if you've read any of the books, some of them dive deeper into his mythology and why he, you know, left the Jedi and, and turned, you know, to the dark side and whatnot. But I won't bore you with that. No, no, but uh, he's great. And, you know, at the same time, Christopher Lee was making the Lord of the Rings movies and he played, you know, the big bad yes. kid, Saruman. And they were two different characters. So he's not a one-trick pony by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no. And uh, he also, Brian, you may not know this, he was a secret agent during World War II and died with all kinds of state secrets of, you know, Great Britain. Wow. And furthermore, uh, whenever... Uh, he was shooting the Lord of the Rings and it was time to shoot Saruman's uh, scene where he got, I think, stabbed and thrown off the, the tower. He corrected Peter Jackson and said, that's not the sound someone makes when you slit their throat. So you're saying he's actually slit a dude's throat? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> he is the Creed Bratton of, uh, of so, show business. So you're saying Christopher Lee has cut a bitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he is excellent. We totally buy that he is, uh, you know, menacing and formidable, even though he was old as fuck in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they did a good job shooting his fight scenes, at cl you know, at close range. Right. Uh, so you didn't, you know, you know, do a wide shot of an 80-year-old man trying to do flips and shit. No, no. And he, I think you're referring to the fight between he and Yoda, which on paper looks, you know, that should have been disastrous. That should have been worse than anything Ryan Johnson ever put his hands on. You've got, I mean, two geriatrics supposed <laughs> to one, fight each one, other. One a damn midget, basically. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and it is, it makes a Jackie Chan fight scene look lazy. Those guys were all over the place. Yeah, but do you, do you remember how the theater lost their shit when that went down? Yes. Because we had waited for decades to see what Yoda could do in a fight. Because you knew that, that little bastard was, you know, very, very strong in the force. And if he wanted to whip some ass, he could. But he was more of a peaceful type fella. But when he just force calls his lightsaber to himself and opens that shit up and gets in his stance, the theater, they, we, they, they just exploded like a, like it was a ball game. Yes. <laughs> we, we were up high-fiving each other, just hugging strangers and shit. <laughs> and like you said, Yoda just moved so fast you would basically see a blur. I mean, he's doing shit that, like you said, Jackie Chan could just could do in his wildest dreams. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so th that was great. Um, as far as dislikes, well, I think it probably has some of the worst written dialogue of any Star it, Wars movie. It may be the worst. Maybe the worst. Yeah. I mean, the the I hate Sam <laughs> that persists to this day. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I you know I don't know how. Uh, Anakin could have landed Padme unless she was a pervert that was just into, uh, you know, uh, banging younger guys because his pickup lines were horrible. I, it's only because you're so beautiful. I hate sand. It's terrible. It's dry and coarse. It gets all over the place. I don't think we should even be laying that at the feet of Hayden Christensen. He had shit to work with as far as those lines went. Yeah, and I'll talk about more about him, especially when we do uh, Revenge of the Sith. But, and I... I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about Obi-Wan in the in these movies first. By far, Ewan McGregor is the best of these movies. Absolutely. Uh, and the casting of him as Obi-Wan was genius. The way he's able to emulate, you know, the older Obi-Wan from A New Hope, it's spot on. Right. And like we said, the dialogue, Star Wars is never known for its dialogue. It's not going to win Best Original Screenplay no. by any shot. But he... I, you know, I love his character in all three of these films. And Obi-Wan, I, th I think, is he your favorite? He is. Yeah, I thought I thought so. And he's probably my second or third out of all. 
all the major Star Wars characters. It's him, Vader, and Han Solo right there together. But he's fantastic uh, in all of them with what he's got to work with. Especially, I think he and Hayden Christians are, are particularly very good in Revenge of the Sith, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, and, the, you know, outside of the creepiness of, I guess, would, I guess Queen Amidala, what would she be, like 28 in this and he 15, 16 maybe? Well, let's see. I, I thought that he was 10 in The Phantom Menace and she was about like 14, which we'll talk about that when we get to The Phantom Menace. But uh, so I would say he is 18 tops. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is basically hot for teacher, you know, put in the Star Wars universe as far as the relationship. <laughs> David Lee Roth should have got a screenwriting credit. Yes. <laughs> Diamond Dave should have been in the credits, yes. <laughs> Give him his uh, SAG card. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, you know, before we move on, you know, I, I like more than this, uh, a lot more of this movie than I dislike. Uh, uh, but uh, do you want anything to add to it, or do you want to, to move on to the next pick? Well, I think this movie has the distinction of, uh, well, here, if we haven't outed ourselves yet, folks, <laughs> we're nerds. We're geeks. Yes. This has a character who's almost like a throwaway character who works in a diner named Dexter Jetster. Yes, yes. Yeah, a four-armed fry cook. Yeah, yeah. Who's in the movie for all about 180 seconds. Yeah. And <laughs> Maybe not even that. Right. Um, and he, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, isn't his action figure from the, 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 the prequels, it's still the most valuable of all time. Is it yes. Not? Yes. And we and I, you and I hit different Toys R Us's for months trying to find that bastard. <laughs> we got him. Yeah, we did. Did you find, you found two of them, right? I did. Yeah. One for me and one for you. And I still have that somewhere in storage. <laughs> right. Same thing with the, uh. The Obi-Wan lightsaber I got you. I don't know. I nearly got thrown out of I don't know how many Walmarts <laughs> just going through their uh, lightsaber supplies to find what I think. I found out later there was only like two of those for every hundred uh, lightsabers. I still have that. I actually know where that's at. I keep it I keep it in a safe spot. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I think on balance it's got more uh, positives than negatives. Uh it's uh, oddly enough, I think the weakest of the prequels, but that's not necessarily saying a bad thing. And that, that's often uh, the uh, the lot of the the middle film. Of it the trilogy. is, yeah. That almost all the way across movies, outside of even Star Wars of trilogy films. Uh, you know, a trilogy is obviously three acts, and you know, in a, just a regular film that's three acts in itself, and maybe a two-hour movie, the middle act is always the slowest and most plot-driven. Uh, so you. You hit the nail on the head. And it says a lot that the weakest of the prequels, which were hated on by critics and fans a lot over the years, is still better than any of the sequels, right. our, at least in our opinion. Agreed. Do <laughs> um, you want to say anything else about Attack of the Clones, or do you want to move on? Well, I'll tell you the one thing. Uh, I'm an attorney by trade. Here is the, the brilliant thing that Anakin did at the end when he married Padme. Uh, <laughs> um, he... Uh, he had to, I guess in the Star Wars galaxy, you have to have witnesses for a wedding like you do here on Earth. But his two witnesses were droids. The 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 two things that he could probably program uh, to not say shit about that so he wouldn't get in trouble with uh, Jedi HR for getting married. 
<laughs> so he saved her from a lawsuit, basically. Pretty much. And from and from prison. Yeah, and he, and he and for, yes, exactly. <laughs> and he preserved his job. I think Obi-Wan might have had an inkling whenever, you know, Anakin was basically wanting to lose the battle to try to save Padme. But, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, I got to say Anakin, well played. Yeah, and before we move on, I, I meant to say this when we were talking about Grievous. I love how he's basically the prototype to Vader later on. More man, you know, more machine than man. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I think Grievous really, he, we see him actually in the ancillary stuff. We see him in the Cartoon Network stuff, but I don't know if we actually see him at all in episode two, but I mean, he's directly, as soon as episode two came out, they were putting out cartoons and stuff that had Grievous in it. And yeah, he was, he, he is a great uh, foreshadowing. And, yeah. And we'll talk a lot more about him uh, when we talk about Revenge of the Sith. Right. Uh, but uh, let's uh, go ahead and play a clip from Attack of the Clones, and then we'll come back with our next film. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. Okay, so we are to number seven, and it's actually my number seven pick. So it'll fall right in line with the list we're building to my personal list, and that's Solo, A Star Wars Story. Uh, unless you want to veto it, move it higher. No, damn it. I'm, I'm looking at my uh, notes on my phone. I'm looking at your <laughs> notebook, and this shit's still the same. <laughs> we did not consult with each other. I at, haven't, Brian, at all. Brian staunchly refused any suggestion of us consulting with each other we, we knew that both of us were going to have you know the last jet out of 11 because we've just had endless conversations of that shit sandwich over the years but other than that i had no idea where you were putting any other film uh i had some guesses but but no we have not you know cheated on this list at all <laughs> uh i remember i was actually when this the first trailer came out for this we were at disney world and they and we were staying at actually Disney World Resort, so they immediately the next day flooded it with all kinds of uh, Han Solo merchandise, and I spent a fortune on this shit. <laughs> and I was like thirty-seven year old man at the time, fighting five-year-olds out of the Disney gift shops for some Han Solo merch. Well, let me tell you, it's nice having that physical strength advantage over those little bastards when you're trying to get at that story. Yeah, it's stuff. like Kramer when he took karate class and <laughs> dominating the dojo. <laughs> but. I, I really like this movie, and I'll be honest, from here on out, I'm going to really like all these films and love several of them, too. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of negative to say about this. Uh, obviously, Han Solo, you know, is an iconic character, not just in this franchise, but in all movies. He really is, and that's a thanks to a large part to Harrison Ford. So I did not envy, you know, and God, I'm going to butcher his name, but Alden Aaron Ehrenreich? Yeah. He did the best possible job I think anybody could have done of playing a, you know, such a well-known and loved character. Uh, I, I really liked his performance. I do too. I think the only reason he got a, a rough ride on his first, there is, there's only one Harrison Ford and that's him. Yes. And also uh, Ewan McGregor actually spoke like, uh, Alec Guinness when he was doing oh, he, Obi-Wan. Yes, yes. I mean, he became yeah, Alec there's Guinness. There's no doubt he studied not just, you know, A New Hope, but other Alec Guinness performances in other films 
you know, when he got that role, there's no doubt. Right. And uh, I agree with you. I think that the casting of the legacy characters of uh, Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo and uh, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Loved him as Lando. Those guys, I, in my mind, they nailed it. They did. And I really liked the two new characters that they brought on. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character and then uh, uh, Emil Clark from uh, the second time we brought right. up Gang of Thrones on this. They were really good. They were. It's basically a heist film. It is. Uh, kind of like another one that we'll get to later in row one. Right. But I love a damn good heist film. <laughs> it, I, I know. They're they're like uh, <laughs> macaroni and cheese. It, it may be simple, but done right, it's delicious. It is. It's entertaining. And I, I really like this movie, man. And I'm disappointed that it didn't do better than it did because obviously at the end, spoiler alert, they set up the return of Darth Maul, which we'll talk about in depth when we talk about A Phantom Menace. But is one of my all-time characters, especially considering his, you know, screen time. Right. Uh, and they set that up, but they we never got to see it come, you know, to fruition. Sadly. No, and, and I think the reason for that is because people were kind of exhausted with, um, you know, the movie prior to that was the Last Jedi, and that yes. left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. It did. This was the first Star Wars film I'd watched opening day, in which the theater wasn't full. Right. It was probably maybe seventy-five percent full on opening night. And I knew something was up uh, with that. But I walked out very happy, very entertained. I mean, like you said, it, Star Wars is not Shakespeare. You just want to sit down for two, two and a half hours and be entertained. You want to see cool-looking aliens. You want to see some fights, uh, uh, some some chases. And this has an awesome chase scene in it. It certainly does. Yes. Uh, and I love Chewbacca in this. I did, too. Uh, what about Han... Uh, busting out, speaking in Wookiee. Yeah, the only time Wookiee is spoken by, spoken by a non-Wookiee in the entire franchise. Absolutely, yes. And I love how they showed how he got his lucky, you know, dice. Right. Uh, which was always been a you know a little Easter egg throughout a lot of the Star Wars films. And <laughs> the one thing I didn't like about it though was the one thing that I didn't like about the film, if I had to nitpick was the Millennium Falcon basically becoming one with a with a droid. <laughs> you know, that was uh that was odd. And and also not only just a droid, but a droid who had a sexual relationship with Lando. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Lando was pretty much, you know, I guess pansexual. Right. Men, Donald Glover went on record saying that. Yeah, men, women, aliens, uh, droids. <laughs> if it's got a hole or an input port, he he's there. He's like Creed Branton when he said that he come up through the 60s and if a man slipped in there, he had no way of knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the second Creed Branton reference on this episode. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I'll tell you what um, I really enjoyed about this movie was probably something that... Um, that uh, a lot of people bitched about it. Like people thought, well, it didn't really advance the Star Wars lore or anything like that. No, it didn't. It was just, it was a fun movie. It Absolutely. was just, it was a heist movie. Like you said, it didn't really amount to a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. We saw Han and Chewie hook up, which was pretty damn cool. It was. I loved how they basically were con men with each other from the get go. Yes. They conned their way out of prison. Right. <laughs> by staging a fight. Right. <laughs> that Han spoke in broken Wookiees like you and me stage secret sneaky fight. It's like he, Han spoke like, he spoke Wookiee like Borat speaks English. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Do you remember when we saw Borat in theater? 
that I actually injured myself because I laughed so hard. Yes. yes. I, I literally brought, almost cracked a rib. <laughs> we nearly got thrown out of there. We were laughing so Yes, that was at the Pikeville Theater. <laughs> I mean, this is Pikeville. This is it like we were in, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the Grail's Chinese uh, theater or just something like that, anything uh, swanky. We were in a redneck-ass theater yes. being too rowdy for a bunch of redneck-ass people. The, we've almost gotten thrown out of two theaters. You remember the other one? Blair Witch Project? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is fine because John and I, are. Uh, we're going to get off subject for a minute here, but this tale's worth telling. If you all didn't come up, you know, when the Blair Witch first premiered, it was a phenomenon. People thought that shit was real. And it, they were hyping it up like it was the scariest uh, thing since the exorcism. People were passing out in the aisles and running the theater. And we go on opening weekend to Lexington to watch it fully hyped and ready to be scared out of our asses, right? That shit's as boring as paint drying. <laughs> and what would you say, a half hour in, when we realized the scariest thing about that movie is somebody rearranging some goddamn twigs? Yes. <laughs> we start laughing. <laughs> And we're trying to control it, but you you know, if you're with a friend and you're trying to control after, that makes you laugh even harder. Right, yeah. The, the thing you're alluding to is when there's like some, looks like somebody, while these uh, stoners were asleep, did some fucking arts and crafts with twigs. Yeah, like a summer camp. <laughs> and then they, they paw at the, uh, at the tent, you know, lazily, and that's supposed to scare the shit out of us. It didn't work. No, <laughs> it did the opposite, actually. <laughs> We were laughing and guffawing, and people were shooting daggers at us out of their eyes. If, if looks could kill, they would have murdered us a thousand times over. But they, they were not happy with us. But let's let's get back to Solo. Uh, do you do you think there's any chance? You know, this actually had a lot of production issues because the original directors had directed like half the movie, and they fired their asses right. and brought in Ron Howard, Lord Miller. I'm glad you bring that up because that was something that occurred to me. You and I were talking about what a disaster the sequel trilogy was. Yes, but we have a a movie with one good set of directors get replaced by another good director. A legend in the in the middle of a movie. Yeah, not before they, it actually started filming. Halfway through filming, and that fucker pulled it off. That that just shows you that 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 you know there is a a whole other tier which Ron Howard occupies. Opie knows how to save a damn movie, and he did. Yep, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I really love how everybody double crossed each other at the end too. Yes, it was Tarantino esque, and and I also love the nod of Han shot first, first in this one, right? And God, I can't remember Woody's character's name. What was his name? Oh, I can't remember. Every Woody Harrelson movie I watch, I just think of him as Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he plays himself. But he was actually, even though he was dying, and Han was his protege, basically, in the, in the you know, I don't know how to con people. He was proud of him in a way. Right. Of shooting, his, shooting him first. Right. <laughs> he had a little pride in his eyes as he was dying. Yeah, it was like, uh, I don't know, an inversion of the of the uh, Vader and Obi-Wan showdown. The, the, the student had surpassed the master, and he was happy with that. Yeah, and I and I also like how you know Han tries to play it like he's only out for himself through every film, but you know deep down he's going to end up doing the right thing at the last minute. Right, and he could have took all the you know the the heist, and it wasn't money; it was uh, uh, coaxium. Is that mm -hmm. yeah. yes? Which is basically what they need to make weapons with of mass destruction, and he turned it over to what was the, I guess, very the genesis of what would be, end up being the, the Rebel Rebellion. Right. Yeah. And he just took one little vial for himself, which he used basically to hook up with Jabba down the road. 
exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was great. Um, I dare say, just out of all cinema, that's probably one of the most enjoyable train robberies I've ever seen. Oh, I loved it. Yes, and that's not even the climax of the film. That's late in the second act, maybe. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, that was phenomenal. Um, what about Paul Bettany's character? Did you like him? Yeah, he was good. He yeah. Was, he was believable as, you know, like a, a crime boss. Yeah, and I love how Woody thinks he's getting away with the high, you know, the loot and leaves them all in there to fight each other, and everybody immediately just takes like a two-second pause and then jumps for their weapons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was badass with that little daggers he, he carried, those little double-bladed daggers. Right. Uh, that, that was a damn good fight scene between him and Han. It was. It was. I enjoyed seeing Infant's Nest show up on the, the train. I'm sorry, I'm fixated on the train. I, I must have a mental condition. But she pulls out, like, basically a vibrating, gigantic uh, switchblade. So it's basically a lightsaber dildo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we know why it goes, when they turn it on. <laughs> But yeah, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. It it didn't it didn't go set it 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 was obvious that it wasn't setting out to you know rewrite uh, any mythology or anything like that. It just wanted to entertain it, and I think it achieved that. Yeah, and we mentioned Donald Glover as Lando. I would love to see him do a standalone Lando movie, or even like a you know a miniseries, like you know four episodes or something on Disney Plus. He was so good. I wanted to say more of that particular character. He was good. He was arrogant. I, the way he would say, oh, hand, you know. Um, yeah. But oh, the other thing, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. This is, I think, the first time we see, you know, we we love Star Wars and weird shit. And, you know, uh, Han is piloting the Millennium Falcon. And it's still at this time has, it doesn't look like the Millennium Falcon yet. Not, not least, yet. And there's this gigantic creature for reasons because reasons <laughs> can run through space and it eats spaceships. Yes. It is tried to eat their asses <laughs> while they're next to like the event horizon of a black hole. And Han just uh, decides uh, it's it's the castle run that he always references. But I mean, yes, Han just decides, okay, we're going to jettison the escape pod. He just shoots it into the black hole. And that damn monster just chases after it like a damn dog after a steak. And then you just get to see it just get ripped apart by the black hole. And it's huge. I mean, it's a, God, I would say, you know, big as like a, like a 10 story building or something. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like the size of a star destroyer or something. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Han's solution is just to make it go play fetch <laughs> <laughs> and fall into a black hole where it dies a gruesome death. I guess that's the only way you could kill that fucker though. Yeah, it was so big. I mean, no, no weapon you had on board the Millennium Falcon was going to phase it. No, no, you had to call upon the most uh, destructive force in all of nature—a black hole to destroy it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about Solo. Unless you want to add something else to it. No, it was good. Yeah, uh, the by far better than the other, the, you know, three Disney movies we've talked about so far. But not quite as good as the other one that we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. But a really great three and a half star film in its own right. And here is a clip from Solo. Well, now, you walk away with enough to get yourself your own little ship. You call. I'm going to clean you out again. I don't know. I'm feeling lucky. Oh, ho, ho, ho. 
you really have a bat for the Falcon, don't you? It's mutual, trust me. She belongs with me. <laughs> you got everything you need there, pal? that I actually went out of turn and picked Solo at number seven, even though it was not my turn. It was John's. But we're going to rectify that now and let him pick number six. Well, that's all right, Brian. You and I have had trouble with you uh, waiting your turn for shit for uh, about 39 years. It's all right. <laughs> um, my number six, I've got uh, the Phantom Menace. Oh, shit. That's my number six. So, um, <laughs> well. I, I think we've only had one film out of order from each other and that was only by like one position correct yeah <laughs> correct and uh the phantom menace you can say whatever you want to about it you can say oh it's got jar jar uh you know screwing up the movie uh you can say it's got a convoluted plot involving uh trade disputes is basically the genesis of the film and and say that that's pretty lame let me tell you what it's got going for it though uh it has, uh, I think, probably a masterclass in trailers. The The trailer for this movie, I think, had everybody so hyped. I'll tell you how hyped everybody was. People were going to watch Meet Joe Black because it was the one movie that had it in the uh, the trailer reels before the movie started. People were going into, theaters were selling out Meet Joe Black just because people were going there to watch the trailer. Yeah, and then they got up and left and didn't even watch the movie. They got up and left, Paid yeah. 10, 15 bucks for a ticket just to see a two-minute trailer. Right. This was 1998, 1999. I remember it was taking people like two to six hours to download a trailer to watch. I, do you remember the first time we saw the trailer? Yes. My, our old art teacher in high school downloaded that shit on the school's network, which was literally dial-up at the time. Right. Which was the only internet in the county in which we lived at the time. It took him six hours, and we would check in with him about every half hour, a core group of us. He said, it's 30%. <laughs> we were cutting class. Yes, and he finally got that shit downloaded towards the end of the day, and we watched it on loop for about 30 minutes as, right. a, as a group. I'm basically a little, you know what, a 10-inch monitor? Yes. <laughs> but, God, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely was awesome. Um, are we being hypocritical when we say that uh, we were betrayed by the movie being not as good as the trailer because that was the case with The Force Awakens? Well, uh, no. Because? Well, we'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> we, you know, Star Wars, we thought, was over in 1983. Yes. And, you know, we were 17, 18 years old, and suddenly... And we'd watched the original trilogy together dozens of times by that point. Right. We are getting, you know, what was only, you know, we thought was only possible in our dreams. And we were so damn excited. And you watch the trailer. Um, you see people racing. You basically see Space NASCAR. Yes. Okay. The pod racing. With pod racing. Which is still one of the best segments in any of the films, period. Right. You hear the, the line in the trailer that... Um, made the hair stick up on the backs of the necks of every teenage boy in America. 
Anakin Skywalker meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. I'm getting chills right now. Dead serious. Yes. Over that shit. <laughs> um, and then you see this, you know, a shot of the showdown. You see Darth Maul. We don't know that he's played by Ray Park, who's only like five foot four or something like that. This motherfucker looked like the Statue of Liberty, and he lights up one blade. He lights up oh his lightsaber, God. and then you see his pinky flick. Yes, and out comes another blade. And it, this thing in any trailer in cinema history, right? When when that second blade comes out of the lightsaber, <laughs> <laughs> we knew we were in for it then. Yeah. So let's talk about our personal experience with this. Uh, you, you know, this was pre Fandango. You just couldn't go on your phone and buy a ticket. And this was the first movie, that, to my recollection, that they ever pre-sold tickets to a month before the actual, you know, release date. Right. So you skipped, we pulled our money together, and you skipped school and waited in line, what, four or five hours to buy the tickets in Lexington? It was six hours. Yes. In in sweltering May heat, because it was like, I think it was around, like, May the 8th or something like that. Yes. And it was around the block of uh, of just people just waiting. Yes. And then we, the day it came out, I mean, from the moment we watched that trailer, and then especially from the day you bought those tickets, we were in full Star Wars mode. We didn't care about anything else for several weeks leading up to that. No. The merchandise started coming out. If it was available to buy, we bought that shit. <laughs> uh, you know, Pizza Hut had a deal to where you could get a large Pepsi on and a special Star Wars cup, and you got the Darth Maul one. I did. And I remember the morning we drove... This is how cool our parents were at the time. We were 17, right. 18, and they not only allowed us to skip school to go watch it, but they turned us loose to drive to Lexington by ourselves. Right. <laughs> Which neither one of us had ever drove, driven in Lexington before at that point. And I remember, you all, my Kentucky listeners will know what the Mountain Parkway is. It's basically the gateway from eastern Kentucky to Lexington. Correct. And it's about an hour's drive. And you were, we were so excited. You took that Darth Maul cup, and you held that right out the window off the entire sixty miles between Campton and Lexington down the Mountain Parkway. I basically got wind burn on my arms from holding that damn thing. It was like a totem or something. Like we were some kind yeah. of primitive people. Yes, and even though we already had our tickets, we didn't have to wait in line again. We got there four hours before the showing just to wait in line. Yes. We ran from the car. We jumped out of the car and ran. Yes. And I think we were like the fourth, fifth, and sixth people in line. They were just a handful of folks ahead of us. So we got prime seats. And we, the critics' reviews had started trickling out at that point, and they were not kind. But I did not walk away from that film disappointed at all. And it may be a little bit because, like I mentioned earlier, I'm so biased and I wanted to love it. And it was something that we never thought we would see. And we'd only talked about, you know, in, in you know, at my home or your home when we were, you know, watching films together and just shooting the shit over the years. We pretty much had written the, the prequels in our own heads by that point. Right. Uh, do you remember my reaction when North Maul died? <laughs> How could I not? So when... If you well, first of all, if you don't know what we're talking about when Darth Maul died, fuck you. I don't know why you've been listening to us that long. Yes, but yeah, so Darth Maul gets cut in half by Obi Wan Kenobi after he had you know already killed Qui Gon Jinn, and the the the, the theater is packed and everybody's like yes, but Brian's voice <laughs> cuts through the din of cheers like a hot knife through butter, and it sounds more pained and anguished <laughs> than when Darth Vader finds out. His old lady is dead. No! 
Well, let's talk about why I reacted like that. Dark, from the trailer, Darth Maul was by far the hook for me for these films. He, just the looks of him, just horns growing out of his head, <laughs> just red and black, uh, the double-bladed lightsaber. And then to see, you know, you mentioned Ray Park, which is perfect casting because he didn't have to really talk. But, I mean, he was able to do shit, you know, aerobatically and, you know, basically with uh, martial arts that m most humans can't. That's not CGI when you're watching Darth Maul do those flips and whatnot. No, you're watching a, a guy who's usually a stuntman. Yeah. And I just hated to see that character go because I wanted to see so much more from him. Which years later, we got him in the cartoons and a brief cameo that we mentioned in Solo. But that character, I just wish they hadn't killed him off so quick, man. Uh, and my favorite thing that Darth Maul does in the entire film is not an actual violence against another human being. It's when that damn force field comes up between them. And he knows he's basically got a two minutes and Obi-Wan's meditating and he's pacing back and forth like a fan in a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Just ready to pounce. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's a killing machine. No, no. He looks like a, a thoroughbred at the Kentucky Derby. Just waiting for that goddamn gate to open. Yes, he's raring to go. <laughs> and he's trained his whole life for this. And it, and he's, he's pissed off because he has to wait two more minutes to get at a Jedi. Yes. And i tell you another thing, though. His introduction, basically, when Obi-Wan's trotting through the sand. I hate sand, by the way. Uh, and he just zooms in on a speeder and flips off that motherfucker. And just starts fight, fighting him out of nowhere. It's awesome. After nearly running over a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, it, nothing can get in his way from his mission. No, and I mean, this would have been like on, you know, World Star Hip Hop. If you had a guy drive, you know, see somebody he just hates from, like a rival gang, jumps out of his car while it's still going down the street and just starts fighting him. That shit would be viral. <laughs> yes. And I, I think I watched this film in theaters three or four times that summer, off and on. I would take different people in my family just for the excuse for me to go watch it again. You know how many times I watched it? Yeah. No. How many? Nine. Nine. So you beat me. <laughs> but it was a magical summer. It was a summer between our, you know, Senior year of high school and freshman year of college, we didn't have shit to do. We had no. a little bit of money at our disposable. And, you know, and we didn't have girlfriends at the time, I guess. <laughs> True. Which goes with that saying because it's going to bring me to my other point. You and I each bought a lightsaber from this film. Yes. Correct. I had the uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and you had the double-bladed, aforementioned, badass Darth Maul lightsaber. Yes. And every Friday night for about, what, six weeks, seven weeks? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much June through August. Until we actually had to leave and go to college, we would stage a lightsaber fight on the side of the Highway 30 in Breathitt County, which is probably the second most traveled road in the county. <laughs> <laughs> and that shit just kept getting more advanced. And we got halfway good at it. I'm not going to lie. I got to say by the end, we were putting on a damn show. <laughs> so much so that word got out. Yes. And this is not, this is pre-Facebook and social media because it was literally just word of mouth. There's two crazy sons of bitches on the side of the road at 9 o'clock on Friday night fighting with lightsabers. Yes. you got to go watch that. And I guess it, it was easy to figure out when we were going to do it because we'd always do it right at dusk because we yes. couldn't wait to get that shit going. And as soon as it got dark enough for the uh, lightsabers to, to glow, yes. we were on it. Yes. And you had a truck at the time, which was an old Ford truck that belonged to your dad called Goldie. Yes. And we got... By the time we got our routine down, you basically started to fight by springing out of that bed of that bastard <laughs> and <laughs> ambushing me. <laughs> and I would say the entire fight we choreographed was what, like five, seven minutes maybe? Yes. Uh, but by the end, this is no joke, folks. The 
the county police was coming by to watch us. Yes. <laughs> but, Basically leading the parade of cars. Yes. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, in hindsight, I wondered, were people calling the cops like, there's two <laughs> psychos trying to murder each other. With glowing swords. With glowing swords. <laughs> <laughs> and the cops were like, I want to check that shit out. But it, this is the honest goodness truth. Every Friday we had a little bit more of a crowd. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was viral before there was viral. And it got to the point, I think the last couple of Fridays, we even did an encore later. Yes. <laughs> we did two showings, a matinee at dusk, and then about an hour later, we re- reloaded and done another showing. Yes. <laughs> and we wouldn't charge an admission either. No. Ladies to say, like I just said a minute ago, neither John and I had a member of the opposite sex in our lives at the time in a romantic fashion. No. <laughs> but I look back at that summer... Damn it, that wasn't probably the greatest summer of my life. Right. And there's something magical about the summer before you start college. You're you leaving childhood behind in a way, but by God, we wouldn't because we were still playing with Star Wars toys. Right. But it, it was just, just a perfect summer. It was a perfect summer. Frankly, we didn't deserve it. You, you haven't mentioned this, but we skipped our finals of the spring semester of our senior year to go watch Star Wars. And with a parent excuse. With the parent excuse. My mom and your mom both wrote us a note <laughs> to get out of final exams. Yes. To watch a movie. I don't know if I ever told you this, though. I, I'll tell you why I was comfortable doing that. Do you remember one time I got called into the office on the intercom about, uh, I think it was uh, the Monday before, I get called in by our principal, and she says, I heard you cut class to go wait in line for six hours to get Star Wars tickets. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yes, I said. <laughs> I admire that. Uh, just get a parent note. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on from the Phantom Menace, we've got one more story to tell as a coda to this. So as we just mentioned, neither John nor myself, and we had a friend with us too. There were three of us in the car. I was taking my dad's Nissan Altima. We had never driven in Lexington before. And we couldn't, we didn't have GPS or even MapQuest at the time. So we went and ate of, we're all young men of that age. If got turned loose in Lexington, would want to eat. And that would be, of course, Hooters. <laughs> and our waitress, she knew, she saw us coming from a mile off. And she got us to order everything on the menu, even the damn crab legs. <laughs> Cracking the crab legs for us. Thinking she was going to get the biggest damn tip she'd ever gotten. <laughs> But unbeknownst to her, we were we didn't have that much money, so we literally had to scrape pennies out of the floorboard of my dad's car to pay her, and she didn't even get a tip. But that's not all. It was dark by the time we left Hooters, and we were in downtown Lexington, and we drove around that city for, what, a good hour trying to figure our way out? On New Circle Road. Yes. And I finally took a took a ride off of New Circle, because we literally made, New Circle was literally a circle. Because <laughs> if you never get off an exit, you will literally just go in a circle Hence the name. Yes. And about the sixth trip around, I said, this shit ain't working. <laughs> so I got on Georgetown Road. Now, Georgetown Road is a, for lack of a better term, where a lot of the African-Americans live in Lexington. And we were as wide as possibly could be, down to the, you know, Nissan Altima we were driving. <laughs> and we noticed when we first got on Georgetown Road, our rallies had been police taped off, and they were like, Half a Lexington's police force were in the parking lot. I said some shits went down there. Then we get to noticing some people dragging couches out of their houses and whatnot and giving us death stares. And I was like, 
I don't know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> Somehow, by the grace of God, we hit every green light on Georgetown Road, so we did not have to stop. So, John, I'm going to let you tell what you found out the next day, what went on on Georgetown Road a mere minutes before we took that exit and headed down through there. Sure. So, yeah, here's the epilogue to that. The, the next day, <laughs> I opened the Lexington Herald Leader and see on the front page, officer involved shooting, white officer shoots unarmed uh, black civilian. A teenager. A teenager at that. Yes. And this is before the internet was really a thing. And But, I mean, I think, I mean, it was outrageous and everything like that. And our dumbasses have to be the people, the first white folks on the scene. Just trotting through in their daddy's car. After a white cop shoots a, an unarmed black teen. Minutes. <laughs> and they were in the midst of having a full-on, you know, mini race right that night. Right. And John can tell you that I've always wanted to be in a right. <laughs> it's been on my bucket list throughout my entire existence. And I guess that's the closest I've ever been to this point of being in a right. And, that, and I didn't even know it as it was unfolding. <laughs> but let's get let's have a final word on the Phantom Menace, and then we'll actually take a quick intermission and eat. But the intermission for the listener through the magic of technology will only be for like two minutes. Uh, what's your last word on the Phantom Menace in the summer of 99, my buddy? The Phantom Menace, summer of 99. Um, the first time we ever see, frankly, uh, full-fledged Jedi and Sith fighting each other. Everything before that we, we, we saw was an old man way past his prime fighting a cripple mm -hmm. in an iron lung suit. Yep. And whatever you want to say about, uh, you know, the rest of the movie, it has the best lightsaber fight, I think, of I drank the it entire franchise. One, no doubt. And that has a lot to do with Ray Park. And let's talk about how badass Darth Maul. He really was taking on Qui-Gon in his prime. And I would say... The Obi-Wan wasn't quite in his prime, but I mean, he was right at the verge of it. And he held his own against two Jedi. Yes. And really should have beat them. And uh, and I'll say this, we, we we did mention the you know the pod race. That shit still holds up to this day. And there was a Super Nintendo game that came, oh no, was it Nintendo 64, I guess, at the time? Yeah. Uh, PlayStation 1. Yeah, the, the, it was just a pod racing game. Yes. Which, which I played the shit out of. And those two sequences alone are some of the best work in any Star Wars film, period. Right. Period. And yes, like all of them, they had some bad dialogue. It has, does a little, you know, the plot of basically a blockade and a trade war and the most exciting of shit in the world. <laughs> and it's one that, to me, has only gotten better with age. Absolutely. And we will, we have, we're going to get into the top five after we take our break. John and I are going to grab a bite to eat, but you don't have to listen to us eat. We won't record that. <laughs> you have it broken into ASMR yet, I no, take it. No, but we will play a couple commercials and be back for you all in like two and a half minutes. But before then, here is a clip from The Phantom Menace. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hi. You're a Jedi too? Pleased to meet you. Hey, I want to tell you all real quick about the brand new presenting sponsor of that one show, the Goblin Trading Company. They make all kinds of cool stuff, shirts, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, 
Uh, they do a lot of D&D type merchandise, but they also have the, a bunch of exclusive that one show merch. Uh, they've got me as a goblin. They've got me as a superhero, a Funko Pop, all kinds of stuff. You can get those on hoodies, coffee mugs, t-shirts, whatever you'd like. Check them out at etsy.com backslash shop backslash goblin trading. I'll also have a link straight to their store in the show notes of this and every episode of season three. Once again, for your official one show merchandise and much, much more, check out my friends at the Goblin Trading Company. All right, we're back. We're in just a minute going to kick off the top five, the five greatest Star Wars films of all time. The definitive list, because whatever John and I say go, but to recap for you all, 11 through 6, 11, The Last Jedi, 10, Rise of Skywalker, 9, The Force Awakens, rounding out the bottom of the barrel, then Attack of the Clones at number 8, number 7, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and at number 6, the first of the prequels, The Phantom Menace, which means we have Rogue One left, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Last Jedi, and Revenge of the Sith. Where will they end up? We'll find out what ends up at number five now. John, what do you have at number five? Right. Uh, well, for my number five, this may be controversial, so I expect to get some blowback on this, but I've got Star Wars A New Hope. And again, these are five awesome films, but for me... Um, All right, I got I to gotta move that one a little higher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my veto. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. You'll have to pick a different one. I, got, I can't let that rest at five. Well, if, if that's the case, then uh, I'd have to put Rogue One there then. I can live with that. that. Rogue One I have at number three, but I can live with it at five. So let's talk about it. Okay. Rogue One, uh, like Solo, is another Star Wars story. Um, it's my understanding that we're going to be a whole series of these uh, Star Wars story films that just kind of, I guess it tapered off after Solo. There was kind of a sea change with the planet uh Lucasfilm but uh Rogue One is basically Star Wars episode 3.75 I mean it leads right into the events of uh, A New Hope and it doesn't have anybody in it from the uh, original trilogy except a uh, a surprise uh show stealing scene from uh Darth Vader himself, but I mean, it, it, it is like Solo, a heist movie, but it is gritty and it is grim. Um, I feel in a way it kind of uh, gives us really our first appreciation of how rich the Star Wars universe is without any of the uh, Jedi being, you know, focal characters or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's just a ragtag band of misfits and, uh, one of, them, one of them is even blind. <laughs> right. Yeah, Donnie Yen uh, is the, the blind uh, guardian of the wills, which is not to be confused with the Jedi. Yeah, he's Force-sensitive to a degree, but, I mean, uh, he was great. I think Donnie Yen, if we didn't have Yoda, I would have loved for somebody like Donnie Yen to have been the, you know, teacher of uh, heroes, you know, the Chiron role that Yoda occupies in the Star Wars mythology. But, uh, so... After you have abused your power with the uh, the veto, I, I I would put I guess Rogue One at number five. Yeah, um, 
you you mentioned the Darth Vader cameo, and I'm not gonna lie, his saint, his one good. I mean, he's he's got a couple scenes, but most of them are just second or two. But he has towards the end of the movie about a four minute scene in which he's coming down a corridor to try to keep the rebels from stealing the blueprints, the Death Star. And it's what every fanboy has ever, you know, had a wet dream about Vader of throughout his, you know, life of what he could truly do when he wanted to. He's mowing through people, man. Left, I mean, He's, in one hand, he's just chopping them up with his lightsaber. He's force choking them, force throwing them, breaking their necks with the force. And he lays waste to, what would you say, a couple, two, three dozen folks in about a minute? Yes. And in every way imaginable. But just the quickest way to kill them, the, the most efficient way to kill, that's what he does. And I don't know how many times I've went back and watched just that scene on YouTube since that movie came out. No, I, I know the scene you're talking about. It, it, the, the place just went crazy when you see the uh, the rebel soldiers are trying to get the the plans out of there. And it's really dark inside yes. that chamber. You don't hear anything. Nope. And then you see a red lightsaber ignite. Now, what does that suggest to you? Darth Vader's always got his... Um, you know, breathing apparatus going on. He's always yeah. basically to the point that we call all the fat nose breathers, uh, mouth breathers of the world, you know, Darth Vader's a because it's so loud. He basically has sleep apnea 24-7. Pretty much. But he turned off his CPAP machine just so he could sneak up on those guys. He went stealth. Yes. <laughs> Which we thought was impossible for Vader. Yes. He literally went without oxygen for what, a good minute maybe? Yes. Uh, and... Like you, like we didn't watch this one together in the theater, unfortunately, but I had the exact same experience. The second you basically just see in a pure black screen a red lightsaber, you was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was just awesome. But the movie itself is, is much more than just that, you know, two minute Vader scene. Like you said, it's a heist movie. Uh, it's got some great action sequences in it. Uh, I really like the cast. I think it was Felicity Jones who plays the lead. Mm -hmm. uh, and just to prove that John and I aren't sexist and we hated on the sequels because it, they had a female lead, we both had this in our top five, and it has a female lead. Right. I have nothing against female leads. I just have something against poor characters, whether they be male, female, or whatever. But anyway, uh, obviously... It's this spawned a prequel, I guess, on the Disney Channel. Yeah, with Andor. Yeah. Did you like it? I did like it. It was a slow burn. I didn't like The first three episodes are kind of a slog, but once it gets to kicking, I, I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but it just takes, like you said, it, it's a slow burn, but sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, and that's a character that I really liked coming out of this, so I, didn't, I don't mind seeing him again. Now, you mentioned Donnie Yen. Mm -hmm. Love his character in this. Uh, basically, when he, during the climax, when he's walking around blind in the middle of, you know, an all-out battle, and he's able, you know, I guess he's definitely using the Force. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Either that or he's the luckiest blind person <laughs> ever getting a fight with people with guns. Yeah, I mean, he's just dodging lasers and shit left and right. <laughs> but, you know, and it... What I liked about the climatic battle on this, too, is it takes place basically, you know, in the daylight. So you get to see that shit. And it's it's directed by uh, Gareth Edwards. And he knows how to direct an action sequence for sure. Uh, I kind of wish that maybe they would let him done another Star Wars film down the road. But quote unquote, I guess this this one only made $265 million, So in Star Wars land, that's, that's a failure, I guess, at the box office. 
Right. But it, I think um, as far as having a great script, uh, it had a great script. You, you could tell that there were some rewrites, I guess, because there were scenes in the trailer which seemed kind of pivotal that weren't in the Never final made it draft. to the final cut, no. Right. They so, didn't show up in the film. But somehow it still was, I mean, that tells me that they had a wealth of good material that it, it still, you know, assembled into a coherent uh, enjoyable film. Yeah, and and I say I'll say this too about Rogue One. I've you know through osmosis, my wife Dixie has now seen every Star Wars film ever made, and I never saw a single one when we began dating. And this is by far her favorite. So I would say that someone who doesn't like quote unquote science fiction, specifically Star Wars, this may be the most accessible film of the entire franchise to that type of person. Right, yeah. Because it's just a basic heist storyline that you can get into. It's not three hours long. It, you know, it's, it does not drag at all. I mean, it's it's pretty much two hours of meat and potatoes. And it's, a, you know, and who doesn't love a heist movie that's if, if it's done well? Who hasn't sit and fantasized about robbing a bank? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and how they'd pull it off. Right. <laughs> uh, and... You got anything else to add about Rogue One? Uh, well, like you said, it, it's uh, got a female lead, and I think the character of Jenna Urso works because she's, uh, you know, she's a badass and she's rebellious at nature. Uh, and but she's actually got a character arc through that film. Yeah. I mean, she goes from being pretty cynical to literally sacrificing herself to make sure that the re rebellion doesn't die in its infancy. What'd you think about Forrest Whitaker? Was it Saul Guerrero? He's not his his character. Yeah, he was he was great uh, at playing someone who was just kind of batshit crazy. I mean, he basically showed the fanatical side of uh, the rebellion. They don't you don't really see. Yeah, and you you we mentioned Vader and his breathing apparatus. He's literally carrying around an oxygen tank like an eighty five year old uh, seven that's been smoking seventy years of their life and <laughs> and uh, can't live without their oxygen. He's literally has to hit that oxygen machine walk like every thirty seconds. Right. Yeah. Uh, he he does play crazy good. Yes. Uh, if y'all have never seen Ghost Samurai, check that out. <laughs> yeah, Ghost Dog is great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Ghost Dog is it the, the way of the samurai. The way of the samurai. Yeah, which was a film that in the trailer looks just totally just absurd. Ab yeah, absurd, but it works. Yes, much more than it should. <laughs> All right, so that is it for the Disney films. The only thing we have left is the original trilogy and Revenge of the Sith. And uh, I'll play a qu quick clip from Rogue One and then I'll come back with my number four. Let them pass in peace. The Force is with me and I am with the Force. And I fear nothing for all this as the Force wills it. Hey, stop right there. He's blind. Is he deaf? I said stop right there.
have burned my one video to move a new hope higher than five. John's still packing his and I don't know if he'll use it. Uh, he may use it just to piss me off and get some revenge. Revenge of the Sith, maybe. But for now, number five is the first of the original trilogy that either of us have ranked today. That is Return of the Jedi. Do you want to veto it or do you want to go ahead and let it remain at number four? It's tough. I, part of me wants to, you know, commit revenge of the John and uh, <laughs> use my veto, but uh, I'm going to, I think, uh, hold back. I'm ready to discuss uh, Return of the Jedi with you. Let's do it. It has made its way up to number four. It is the third of the original trilogy. And it's like we said way back at the beginning of the show, the first Star Wars movie I remember watching. Uh, I love a lot of this film. Uh, I mean, what is there to say about, you know, the opening? Obviously, we'll talk about uh, the other two movies here in a minute. But basically, you all have seen this movie a million times. You know at the beginning of it, uh, at the end of the Empire Strike Back, you end on three or four different cliffhangers. Uh, Han frozen in carbonite. Vader has revealed himself to be Anakin Skywalker and Luke's father. Luke's lost a hand. It look, it looks as grim as shit for the rebels. I right. mean, they're at the worst place they could possibly be. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, their their uh, base just got scoured too. The at the Battle of Hoth, they got their asses kicked pretty much the whole movie. Yeah, and I love the opening of this film when, I mean, because he's kind. Let's be honest. Up until this point, he's been kind of whiny. Right. He's a little wimpish, but he's not in this one. He's sure of himself. He's pretty much completed his training. He walks into Jabba's palace knowing he's coming out of there with his friend Han Solo. Right? Right. And, uh, you know, the the fight with the... The, with the, uh, the Rancor? The big Rancor. Some great practical effects. Uh, he gets Han out, and then they get on... They're going to take him out to the desert and throw, throw their asses into the Sarlacc, which, if you all don't know what a Sarlacc is, it literally digests you for years. Over a thousand years. Somehow it, it keeps it, you it alive. Keeps, yeah, out of torture. At the, why it's digesting you, it will not allow you to die. It wants to torture your ass for those thousand years while you just slowly make your way through its intestines and bowels. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the worst fate I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> you become an immortal turd. Yeah, I mean, it's like the old urban legend. You know, if you swallow, you know, a, a wad of gum, it's going to remain in your stomach for 10 years. You're that wad of gum. You're that wad of gum times, times a thousand. <laughs> but... <laughs> And you never get shit. You're pre it's bad if you're praying for a thousand years to be shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Just shit me out. Just please. <laughs> I will say that uh, I'm wearing a Boba Fett shirt right now. And I that for a character to be so minor, that character captured the fans' imagination more so than any of the other minor characters. Would you agree with that? You're talking about Boba Fett? Yes. Yes. And he, the poor fella literally just trips and, and to his own death and lets the Sarlacc eat him. Basically, Han Solo's Mr. Magoo for about 30 seconds. Yeah, he's and, blind. And, and accidentally knocks him over. Yes. And he trips over a rail. Yeah, I mean, Three Stooges episode back, literally just breaks out for about a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> a comedy of errors. Uh, but I love that Luke, you know, you hinted, you know, the first time that you really watched this and as a trilogy, Basically, you know it's only going to end one of two ways. Vader's going to turn Luke to the dark side or vice versa. 
one of them is going to turn. And I love how they just do subtle things like Luke wearing all black. Right. Uh, to lead you to believe that maybe it's not going to end like you think it's going to end with Vader turning back to the light side at the end. Uh, and it, it does a good job of it, even though you kind of know how it's going to end, second-guessing yourself, well, maybe he will turn. Mm-hmm. What uh, What's some of your thoughts on Return of the Jedi? Well, um, I think um, it really is uh, commendable in that you want to talk about subverting people's expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you think, when you're a little kid watching this the first time, you're thinking, oh, God, yeah, here's the rematch. This is the grudge match. Yep. Vader cut off Luke's hand. He he's out for revenge. Yep, and Luke literally just lays down his lightsaber. Yeah, he he says, "I I won't fight you. I'm a fa- I'm a Jedi like my father before me." Which is a great line. We give George Lucas shit, but there's a few great lines in these movies. Yeah, and somehow we're watching Palpatine then just commence to shocking the shit out of Luke <laughs> for like it seemed like an eternity when the first time you watch it, he's just oh father, and he's just you know shocking him like while this battle's raging. Yeah. On. And somehow you get that Vader is conflicted for the very first time. Well, and it's it's not even dialogue that gives the first hint of that. When he, it cuts, it does a hard cut from Luke getting the shit shocked out of him to Vader just slightly turning his head a little bit while he's watching it. And you're like, oh shit, he's, he's thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I hate that they went back and added the no when they remastered him. Absolutely. But that still doesn't diminish the side of him dying with one arm, picking that wrinkled up old emperor up over his head and throwing that bastard to his death. Where he explodes in a blue fireball. Yes, it's awesome. It really is. And it's like we said, it's hard for folks like J.J. Abrams to stick to landing. And I really believe that they stuck to landing with Return of the Jedi with the last act. What would you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ewoks aside. Ewoks aside. Really, the Ewoks are the, the Achilles heel of this movie. And I don't understand really how that happened because my understanding is that George Lucas had originally intended to use uh, Wookiees. This is supposed to be, I guess, the Battle of Kashyyyk or something like that. You yes, know? it should have been, a, a, you know, a, literally a, a Wookiee army, which right. would have been badass. Yes, if you see a bunch of just seven foot tall. Uh, and we get a little bit of that, just a tiny bit of it in the prequels. Right. But instead, we're treated to the sight of, you know, a bunch of munchkins Fighting like the Viet Cong against... uh, Basically the midget version of a Wookiee. Yes. I mean, that's literally what they are. Yeah, that's that's where the name Ewok came from. It's like Wookiee backwards and slightly mispronounced. Yeah. So there's that, but uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I guess uh, the Ewoks were like the Island of the Misfit Toys for Wookiees. (laughs) Right. Going back to what you were saying about Luke Skywalker, though. I mean, he is completely self-assured the entire movie. He walks into Jabba's palace... Unarmed, except for his, of course, command of the force, which is considerable. But he still, he beats this rancor in this fight. And this looks like, you know, like a Ray Harryhausen, uh, you know, type uh, special effects with this rancor. It's it's just awesome. And this thing bites the head off of, <laughs> you know, one of those uh, Gamorreans, the little pig people. Like he's Ozzy Osbourne going into a, you know, record label meeting. Yes. And then he chases Luke's ass about. Luke just picks up a rock and, and bashes a uh, control panel. Yep. And crushes this thing under a big door. And then we see probably what I think is the funniest moment in Star Wars. The owner of the big Rancor comes out, comes out and starts crying over this just monstrosity. And that, and that bastard looks 
looks like he would definitely be at home in Eastern Kentucky. Let's just be frank about it. Absolutely. He's all greasy and shirtless. He, he's <laughs> got side. He's got space diabetes for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I don't. You can make an argument that, that might be the best. You know, first fifteen minutes of any of the films mm-hmm. of him. You know, going into Jabba's palace and breaking out Han and them going out to the Sarlacc. And obviously, we can't move on without talking about Slave Leia, I mean. <laughs> Folks, forgive me. But, I mean, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s and were of a, of a male, and you, when you start, first hurt, hit puberty, you recognized Slave Leia. Yeah, but the thing is, we weren't pubescent. We were just like little kids. But that was like the, the moment, I think, when a lot of boys who had not hit puberty yet figured out that girls don't have cooties all the time. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I would say that this is probably my favorite of Mark Hamill's performances too in this film. I get that it's 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 uh it's nuanced. Yeah, yeah. and he's just the the growth of a character like we mentioned of him being kind of young, still childish, not sure of himself, to being just totally in control, knowing that he's powerful in the force, and knowing that he's going to be able to whip your ass no matter what. I mean. And he played the long con old Jabba too, because he had that uh, lightsaber hit in R2 for what, I guess they'd been in the palace for quite a while before he showed up. Right. He got offered him his gifts, right? Yes. Yeah. He offered the droids his gifts, and basically just so he could plant R2, who was, I think, serving drinks at the time that Luke... He was, a, yeah, he was literally a butler. <laughs> Luke uh, jumps, you know, basically walks the plank, then just pops up, you know, like Mary Lou Retton. Yes. And uh, meanwhile, R2 launches that... Lightsaber there, God knows where it would have went if he didn't use the force to pull that down. I guess it would have went to the Sarlacc. Right. And been been in his damn gut for the next 10,000 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, I think it probably does have the best opening act of any Star Wars film. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the Ewoks, quite frankly, had that would have been a planet of Wookiees, this would have been a lot higher on my list than where it ended up. Absolutely. The other thing that did that the other movies had not done yet at that point is uh, they used practical effects and somehow made it convinced us that those uh, speeder bikes were going at like 200 miles an hour through basically a redwood pure pure movie magic i mean there was no cgi yet and you generally thought those like you said they're going hundreds of miles an hour dodging trees and whatnot uh and i'll say this too though through the two and a half films vader is about as badass as a character you can possibly get I can't lie to say that I had built up what he looked like under that mask in my own mind to such a level that I was a little bit disappointed that he was basically just a very pale old man. Right. Yeah. I mean, in uh, the uh, Empire Strikes Back, you see the back of his head when he's in his meditation chamber. Yeah, but that still looks badass. And you think, oh my God, he's got to have, he, he got to, I mean, we're kids watching. He-Man at this point. We're expecting Skeletor or something like that. We yeah. we expected something metal as hell to be under that helmet. Yes. But what what was your first thoughts when you saw, I guess, the face of Anakin Skywalker for the first time? As a little kid? Yeah. <laughs> I was disappointed. Yeah, I was too. I, at the same time, though, like emotionally, though, I mean, it just, it gets you. Uh, yeah, I mean, he literally knows he's dying and he wants to be able to look at his son with his own eyes as he dies. 
that's pretty powerful shit. Yeah, it is. Uh, especially when Luke says, when he says, help me take off this mask so I can look on you with my own eyes. And Luke says, but father, you'll die if you do that. And he says, nothing can stop that now. And that's yeah. the last thing Anakin wants to do is look at his boy. And then he tells him that he saved him. Yes. Yeah. Tell your sister you were right. Yes. That's, that's pretty awesome, man. And again, as we said, you know, we've got <laughs> Anakin is the goat because he's the only Jedi we know of that killed two Sith, Sith in a single day. He himself did. and his boss. But I guess he had to do that because if there's, because generally the rule of the Sith is there's always two. So, right. So if there's one, there's always going to be the next one. Right. And he knew he had, that both of them had to die to truly end the Sith. Right. And can, I, I meant to bring this up earlier. Forgive me, you all, for not bringing, bringing this up earlier. And we shit on the sequels. But the fact of the matter is that they made three movies and we never got to see Han, Leia, and Luke in one scene together. Is it may be the biggest crime of the sequels, period. Mm -hmm. the, the core three, sure. But I digress about that. I mean, and I love the fact, in retrospect, as an adult going back and watching this, as a kid, you'd have liked to probably saw Vader and Luke go at it one more time. You alluded to the rematch. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they didn't. And that, that, Ryan Johnson, is the correct way to avert people's expectations, right? You literally had Vader. What was he probably fifty percent of himself at that point? I'd say so. Kill Palpatine unarmed, and after he's got his ass electrocuted, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and you knew at that point what Luke was capable of. He could have killed Vader very easily at that point. He was more powerful than Vader. Would you he agree? Was, absolutely. He had him literally on the ropes, uh, literally and figuratively, because he was hacking away at Vader, and then he just chops off his hand, and then he, yeah. he, there's that moment. There's no dialogue. There's so much good storytelling in this film without any dialogue. Almost a silent film for that act. Yes. That, that, that whole that whole act, and they even went back, like we looked to added like, no, which was unnecessary. Right. Uh, and, I, and Luke was smart enough to know that he didn't, nothing would actually be resolved if Vader died. The true enemy was Palpatine. Yep. And the, the only way to truly win was to make Vader realize that that was the case. And it took literally to the last breath, his last breath, but Vader finally came around. And I'll be honest with you, I think that is biblical. If you And, and just bear with me here. If you read the Bible, you realize, and if you follow that, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, this, is, this isn't to get that deep, but it's very clear that if you just could be the worst son of a bitch your entire life and live to be 90 years old and just call out, to Christ as you dime, and that just erases everything. That, that's literally what Vader did. He was the meanest, gnarliest son of a gun in the entire galaxy. A child killer. Many times over. <laughs> a planet killer. Yes. Billions. Yes. Billions for shits and giggles. <laughs> but at the very end, he, he actually ended up getting a Jedi's funeral too, which, right. was, which was a cool scene. Uh, you got anything else to add about Jedi before we move on? Well, um... Is this the first Star Wars movie, maybe the only Star Wars movie, that has a musical number in it? I mean, I guess you could count the cantina in Moss Eisley. You can, but that's not really a musical, quote-unquote, number. It's just, you know, music. It's part of the soundtrack. But, I guess it is, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. now, we're, we're amongst friends here. You're, you're alluding to the green-looking alien that's dancing, right? Yeah, she's dancing around while the, the, uh, the band is playing, yeah. Were you ever attracted to her? <laughs> Because I got to admit, I was at a certain time in my life. Somehow, you know, <laughs> you look past the tentacles growing out of her head. Uh, she's got to kill her body. 
<laughs> just which goes to prove what one of our friends always says says, you know, <laughs> if they've got a million dollar body, sometimes you can look past the food stamp face. Yes. Hey, and he called them a two bagger, put two bags on their face in case one falls off. <laughs> You talk about the Bible and then go back to the, talking about this. We're going to hell. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> Maybe we can be like Vader, though, and realize at the last minute we're old and get forgiven for our crimes. Right. Uh, do you want to move on? or is that I'm ready to move on. That was a, Here's a clip from the first of the original trilogy that we have talked about today, Return of the Jedi. Luke, help me take this mask off. But you'll die. Nothing can stop that now. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. Okay, so we have, if you're playing along at home, you know we have three left, and you also know that John has a veto left. So he pretty much controls this thing from here on out if he wants to use that veto because he has picks three and one. So if he disagrees with my pick at number two here in a moment, he pretty much controls the last three slots on this board. And uh, I'm just shocked that uh, he didn't – he acts like he was nervous coming in, didn't know what to do because he's beat my ass this game if he wants to. To quote Michael Scott from The Office, how the turntables <laughs> – My, my, my. Uh, <laughs> Which is like the fourth office reference we've dropped on this episode for some reason. Uh, so this is my buddy, John. This is your next to last pick. What do you have at number three? Revenge of the Sith. I'll, all right. That was my personal number four. So let's talk about it. Um, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, just when everybody, I think, had written George Lucas off as being past his prime, that he had no business you know, directing Star Wars films again. He comes out and he blows the roof off the sucker with Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, he kind of had an obsession with making, he called it like poetry. He wanted the prequels to kind of mirror the the original trilogy. And I think sometimes that might have been to his detriment. But you can't get a better anti-Return of the Jedi than Revenge of the Sith. Um, it is so ambitious in its storytelling. It somehow wraps up the Clone Wars and shows the fall of Anakin Skywalker and manages to get that shit in two and a half hours, which yes. I think is incredible. And I'll be honest, if anything, I wouldn't mind if this was a little longer. Right. At two and a half hours, it does not drag. Give us the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Five hours of it. That's right. <laughs> um, continue on. So, um, Anakin Skywalker, you know, uh, I think Hayden Christensen had a lot more to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, he, we didn't have to worry about some kind of uh, love story or anything like that set up. But I'll, I'll, I'll make a few observations about that. Okay. We know from Attack of the Clones that, like, uh, getting involved with the uh, marriage and stuff like that—that's that's forbidden. But Jedi are literally priests; they're not allowed to marry. Right. We know though that Obi Wan has told Anakin, "You got to cut that shit out." But he is somehow cool with it, and, and I'm going to segue, Brian. Forgive me if I'm jumping into this too soon. But this has not only one of the best fight scenes, but possibly one of the best um, cases of uh, 
I would say Anakin's uh, fall in this is uh, is 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 incredible. It's it's incredibly well done. I think the second best uh, sword fight of the the whole uh, uh, Star Wars franchise. You know, easily, uh, easily. They're it, door on the basically on the molten lava. Yes. Uh, could you imagine being one of the workers? You see these schmoes, you know, <laughs> fucking around, you know, with this molten lava, like trying to smelt stuff. <laughs> and you're watching the, t the two greatest sword fighters in the galaxy going just, at it. Just, just float by. You know, it's uh, just a Wednesday at work. <laughs> and you're watching these sons of bitches like surfing on lava while sword fighting. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me add, uh, bring up a couple things here. Uh, if you think about it, you know, let's talk about Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship since it's really the last time we'll get a chance because the other two movies left are from the, you know, the original trilogy. Uh, they're both of, their acting in this is by far the best of the three prequels. And like you said, they probably had a little bit more to work with. But Hayden Christian, I think, is legitimately good in this. Yes. Especially from the moment he turns. You can, you can believe that that dude is evil now. Yes. Uh but think about what he went through here. The one man in the world that he trusted, he has no family. He's, the only thing he had was a mom, and she's dead. So Obi-Wan's really like a father figure to him, much more so than just a mentor or a teacher. He has reason to believe, and good reason, that he may be trying to cook on him. Right. Because he's arguing with Padme, and she just nonchalantly, like a, like a, let's be honest, she knew what she was doing by dropping this. Yes. This little throwaway line. Any oh, married man knows that yeah. women will pull this shit on yeah. you. Oh, Obi-Wan dropped by a little while ago, and he's worried about you. Well, we did, did he? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that gets, you know, in the back of his mind, thoughts going on. Is Obi-Wan messing around with my woman? Yes. And then they just roll in together. On a spaceship after they've gone across the galaxy on it. Yes. And you just see them together. What would you be led to believe, John? Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, first of all, Anakin uh, gets passed over for, mo for promotion at work. The, the council refuses over to see him. Over and over again. Over and over again. And he basically just makes a lateral move into the Sith organization. And suddenly his old co-worker shows up. With his supervisor, really. Yes, his supervisor shows up uh, riding in his wife's ride. Yep. The the big, you know, uh, sterling silver. Uh, Basically the Rolls Royce of the, the, Rolls the Star Wars universe. Yes. Shows up in that and basically starts talking trash to him. Then, then his old lady shows up. Yep. If they... <laughs> if they ain't enough to send any man over to the dark side, I don't know what is. Absolutely. So you can make an argument that he was justified in his actions. <laughs> Even killing the paddle ones. <laughs> right. But let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room at this point. Because we're not talking about the shows per se, but there we ha we can't have a conversation about Revenge of the Sith without talking about the Obi-Wan series a little bit. In which both Ewan McGregor and... Hayden Christian returned to their roles right. of Vader slash Anakin and Obi-Wan. And they get into it again. They have a rematch years later. Yes. And it's a damn good fight. And Vader whips Obi's ass. Let's just be frank yeah, about when it. When they first meet up again, yeah. yes, he, he owns him. And he takes the time to drag him face down through some fire. Literally raking him over the coals. Yeah. And basically to let him know how it feels. 
And you and I come to the conclusion that during this duel, was it Mustafar, I guess? Yeah, and Mustafar in, in yeah. Revenge of the Sith. When he gets about. lit on fire, he don't lose just his limbs. He lost his dick. Yeah, you know that if you were laying next to lava and it's so hot that it ignites your hair. And yes, it singes your limbs off too. Yes. Your legs. Yes. <laughs> uh if, if your hair's on fire, goodbye, Dick. <laughs> so, why would he carry all that hate around with him from that point forward? Of not just likely being cuckolded, but the man that's cuckolding you basically castrates your ass. Yes. <laughs> it, worst day ever. It's, it's short of dying, or I guess getting digested for 10,000 years by a sarlacc, that's as bad as it gets. <laughs> Some men may say they prefer the sarlacc. <laughs> <laughs> he literally got turned into a eunuch yes <laughs> but would you venture to say that when he met up with Obi all those years later he didn't try to burn his dick off as revenge well you, you and I said this when it first came out as we were discussing this you know there's an eye for an eye and in Vader's case a dick for a dick <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to lie part of me wanting him to be successful at it yeah. And if you all listen to my wrestling episode, you know I always tend to root for the villain and part of me always rooted for Darth Vader. I don't know how do you I don't know how you feel about that. Oh, he's on uh, I think was the, the uh AFI? Yeah, AFI put him as their number one villain of all time. For good reason. Has to be, right? Right. I mean, well, let's let's talk about we'll talk about Vader in depth in a minute, but you know, this is easily the best of the prequels. And you and I talked a bit while we were taking the intermission. I put the question out to folks on Twitter and without hesitation, the millennials, which is just one, you know, decade younger than I guess John and I technically without hesitation, this is their favorite pretty much across the board. And I understand that because it's the, it's the trilogy that John and I grew up with the original trilogy. They grew up with this one. And I love the fact that with, Without these films, because this is our last word on the prequels, we wouldn't have a whole new generation of Star Wars fans. Right. Because Star Wars was pretty much out of the public consciousness as a whole until the prequels came out. Right. There was not a lot of toys. I mean, it was just us nerds that kept, you know, kept it going on life support. It, they were hard to find on VHS and DVD. Right. There was the uh, the uh, special editions that were released in theaters, but I tell you what, I never saw a full theater in none of any of those films. No, maybe half, third, full. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, but that you know the so the prequels, if nothing else, turned a whole new generation of folks that probably otherwise maybe would have never watched a Star Wars film onto the greatest franchise in cinema history, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my daughter, Natalie, she loves the prequels so much so than any of the rest of them. And there's been a lot of questions asked and debate online on, well, if if you grew up with these and all the films out are now, and you're introducing, you know, your child to it, what sequence should they watch them in? I just showed them in chronological order to her start with The Phantom Menace. Right. Uh, but there, there's no really right or wrong answer to that. Uh, have any of your kids watched the Star Wars films yet? Um yeah, um, believe it or not, my daughter Taylor, she's watched the entire uh, Clone Wars series. Awesome. Yeah. Which is really good. Yeah. And is another thing that has turned on a whole other generation 
on Star Wars. That was a lot of even younger than the millennials. That was their introduction to it. Right. Absolutely. And we got Dave Filoni to thank for that. Yes. Give that man a, a movie, please. Yes. You are. If Kathleen Kennedy, if you are listening, you can right all your wrongs by just handing him the keys. Right. Yeah. The, the, um, the, the again, I think Revenge of the Sith. It is an epic tale, and look, they there's uh, it's got. Not just the second best sword fight in you know Star Wars history, it's got um, Anakin and Obi versus Dooku. Yep. Then it's almost like the WWE. Obi gets knocked out. Yep. And it's left to Anakin to finish the fight. He does without Obi Wan's guidance, and he, that's when he kind of starts his uh, real flirtation with the dark side. Cause he well he scissors him. <laughs> Yeah, he's, for lack of a better word, right? With uh, with Palpatine agging him on, yes. And Obi Wan is oblivious to all this. He's not cold, right? He just got a chair to the head, yes. Um, and yet Anakin, we believe him when he says, when Palpatine says leave Obi Wan, he says no. He we he shares the same fate as us. And you believe that Anakin is still good at that moment? He is. He's very conflicted, but he's good, right? Um, we see the Clone Wars get wrapped up. We see a pretty badass fight between Obi Wan and Grievous, who we were talking about earlier, which Grievous was. Amazing. Uh, we yes. thought that you couldn't top a double-bladed lightsaber. Uh, give us a cyborg with four arms, each holding a lightsaber. Yeah, and uh, basically robotic arms that can just go a million mile an hour. Right. And and we not even talked about the fight between Yoda and Palpatine yet, which is a hell of a fighting of its own right. Right. So literally, I guess it has five lightsaber fights in it. Uh, I, yes. It kicks off with one, which is rare for a Star Wars movie. Right. I mean, uh. And we, let's talk a little bit though how incompetent the Jedi Council are, though. You had this guy right in front of the whole this this, this son of a bitch, literally right in front of him for years, manipulating everything. Yes, and they never even knew it. They were regularly holding like administrative meetings with this son of a bitch. Yes, he was he was basically on the inside with them. He was privy to information that no other non Jedi was. Right. And really, you we talked about how. They basically passed over Anakin for every promotion. I mean, and he's still young at this point. I guess he's in his 20s. And Right. You know, when you're in your 20s and you're busting your ass and your bosses don't appreciate you, that pisses you off. Sure. So it's partly their own fault that he turned, I think. Yeah. And you know what? Speaking of the council being worthless, Brian, you said there's five. Hell, there could be six or seven, depending on how you count it. Let's talk about what has got to be the worst lightsaber fight in that damn movie. That's when Mace Windu and his squad rolls up on Palpatine. Yep. Palpatine just a squalls like a <laughs> confused old lady at a nursing home. <laughs> takes off and starts spinning in the air like he's M. Bison in Street Fighter 2 and immediately just uh, ghosts. Three Jedi like it's nothing. Nothing. When you realize at that point, this, this guy means business. Right. You also think, uh, these sons of bitches knew they were going to get in a fight, and this guy doesn't even like do a quick draw on them. The, one guy gets stabbed immediately. Understandable. Two guys just sit and watch this and like, huh, that just happened. Oh, he just killed me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess he technically disfigures himself too just for the just for the, the effect that to have Anakin realize He's how dirty that the Jedi have done him. I mean, it's you talk about selling the con, yes. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, let's talk a bit about you know Palpatine. Uh, 
and the actor that portrays him. God, what? Uh, Ian, Ian McDermott. Yeah, he's a, he's fantastic. He is. And uh, he's the one constant, I guess, through all the prequels and the original trilogy, right? Right. And uh, even, you know, back in The Phantom Menace, he talks about how that one line where he looks at young Anakin, oh, I'm going to be watching your career very closely. Right. He knew then. And if you all go back to the comics, by God, he literally... <laughs> he knocked up Anakin's mom using the force. From arguably. a million miles away. I mean, you thought Vader was a badass because he was able to choke someone from, from light years away. <laughs> Palpatine literally got a woman pregnant. <laughs> so, I mean, my goodness. You can make an argument, I guess, he was... What it, there's, that's another debate on who the strongest in the force has ever been. But And you can make a case for a handful of them, but Palpatine has to be in the discussion because, like you just alluded to, he just basically, just like it was nothing but dusting off of his shoulder, for, you know, like a ladybug took out two Jedi in the blink of an eye. Right. And not just like Padawans, but trained Jedi Knights. Yes, masters. Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add about Revenge of the Sith? I got to say that the one of my favorite shots in, in all the films is when we first see the side shot of Vader when he's had when the mask gets put on Anakin's face. Right. Anakin, uh, Hayden Christensen, even though it's literally just his face, just his eyes, and you can see how scared and unsure if he actually has made the right decision he is at that moment. I mean, his lady's dead. He's he's wrecked, you know, physically. Right. But when the mass seals and he just starts rising up on that gurney, I guess what? what yeah, it, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's badass. I mean, it's an awesome shot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's evocative of, like, you know, Frankenstein or something like that. Absolutely. And you kind of joked at first. That Star Wars is not Shakespeare, but it ain't. But now there's a lot, of, a little bit of Shakespearean, I think, in Revenge of the Sith. How so? Uh, tr tragedy wise, right? You get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's probably one of the best tales ever of how hubris yeah. can destroy anybody. No matter, even if you're the the greatest force wielder of all time, yes. you see how humbled Anakin is after he has. We joke about it, but I mean, he had a lot of nerve to basically turn on everything he ever uh, believed in, basically, because he got passed up for a promotion. And because he was so attached to, you know, his, his wife and, and had the gall to believe that he could, you know, he, he wanted to control everything. That's the thing about Anakin. He's always been a control freak, and that's what lured him to the that, dark side. That's what was his downfall. Basically, Palpatine manipulated him by making him have nightmares of Padme dying during childbirth and then letting him know that the Sith had a way to cheat death. Right. Yeah. And I'll say this, too, real quick before we move on on my Shakespeare point. I think that J.J. Abrams picked up on that as well because he literally has a skull of Vader mm -hmm. in the form of his helmet and whatnot that that uh, Kylo Ren's packing around with him like Hamlet. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, in The Force Awakens. But this is easily my favorite of the prequels. And it... Didn't quite make it to number one on our list that we've built together, but I hope the millennials out there listen appreciate that two old farts like us can still appreciate the greatness of this film because yeah. it made the top three. Yeah, we're, we're with you, young bloods. <laughs> yeah, and we're not going to come in and slaughter the Padawans. No. No, not at all. Uh, you want to move on? Is We'd be here all day if, if we didn't move on. <laughs> I, I can talk at, at length about this. Uh, this I think movie. we're going to break the, my, my record, man. We've actually, we're going to break the record for the longest episode. 
The, it, Lance Turner and I hold it for, with the WWF episode, but we're going to break it today. Uh, let me tell you, the WWF episode, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what the metrics are, but I wouldn't be surprised if that brought in a whole lot of new listeners and, and people that really weren't even interested in wrestling, like amongst uh, my friends listened to that episode and just were enormously entertained by it. Hell, I played it for my kids. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't have a great track record in making media selections for my children. Um, <laughs> my daughter, Savannah, owns a copy of Crank. And we we, we just described how, what Crank was a while ago. <laughs> yes. So take that for what it's worth, folks. Yeah. Um, my girls listen to the discussion of, you know, uh, D-Generation X and the Attitude Error. <laughs> I'm not making this up. My girls were passing the football at each other uh, to each other, Savannah and Piper, and uh, they – broke out into an argument and it just evolved into them standing across the yard from each other, hurling insults and doing the, uh, degeneration X, uh, crotch chop at each other for a solid 60 seconds. <laughs> Let me just say this, you know, I, and I meant this at the beginning of the episode when I said that John, I consider him my brother, therefore I consider his kids, you know, I consider myself to be their uncle. I generally do. And, and the same goes for my child and John. And, he texted me that, and I said, and I texted him back. I feel that I am responsible for this, and he texted back, absolutely. And as their uncle, that is my proudest moment. <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. We'll play a clip from uh, Revenge of the Sith, and then we'll move on to our number two Star Wars film. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. You underestimate my power. Don't try it. You were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. All right, we are nearing the end. We have two movies left, and obviously they are A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. At number two, I will play A New Hope, and I guess John will likely agree with this placement since he tried to play it a little earlier, and I vetoed to move it higher. Uh, unless he just wants to be spiteful and, and veto it and move it even higher than he attended. I, I, no, I will not give in to my hatred. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> but A New Hope, I mean, it literally changes what was possible on the big screen. It invented a lot of special effects, and that can't be tight and lightly. And I, before we get into the discussion of this, I got to tell a quick story about my dad. John knows this story. <laughs> a New Hope is so good that my dad, you know, at the age of, I guess, 19 when it came out, was taking a lady to the Boonville Drive-In. And he wasn't taking her there to watch the movie. Let's just be frank about it. <laughs> Damn, you were right. Your mom definitely should be listening to this episode. <laughs> Jill, turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> and he's told me that, they, and at the time, they had no idea what even movie was going to be playing. They didn't give a damn. And Star Wars, The New Hope, started playing. And it was so good, he actually watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and it said he had never seen anything like it with good reason there had never been anything like this before uh even i mean technically i guess it, it rips off everything from flash gordon to saturday but, but as far as accomplishment on the big screen and practical effects it changed the game forever would you agree with that john yeah absolutely uh it I, I dare say it created a new genre of film, which is space fantasy, because it's not hard science fiction. Not Make at all. no mistake. It's a spa space western. Yes. It's exactly what it is. Uh, and other than, you know, Empire, uh, Empire that we'll talk about in a minute, it's probably the Star Wars film I've watched most in my life. And it's pure movie, movie magic. I mean, for a film to be 46 years old now, 45 Came out in 77. Yeah. So it's 46 years this year. Right. To still hold up is insane. Go back to, and watch any movie from the 70s that tried to, you know, that was fantasy or science fiction and, and see if their effects hold up. They don't. Spoiler alert. They do right. not. They look very dated. This movie, you could pop it in right now, watch it, and feel like it was made yesterday, which is a, an amazing achievement. And who in the hell knew that George Lucas – had this in him because up until this point he'd made THX eleven thirty eight yeah and and then uh, American Graffiti right and he had he had this you know the greatest franchise it, the franchise I guess has probably made more money than any other franchise easily over the years if you count all eleven films that we're talking about today easily mm -hmm. and that son of a bitch he was he was so smart they didn't. The studio was not happy with this film at first, at all. No. And he basically negotiated his salary to say, hey, I won't even take that much, but just give me all royalties on merchandising sales. And they said, this is, they just laughed at his ass. They yes. were like, this, this dumb bastard, he's not going to make anything. <laughs> he literally became a billionaire because of the merch sales. Right. And self-financed the prequels. Right. Uh with his own money that he'd made over the couple, the, the decades from that point forward, from all the toys that you and I have contributed to, and people like us over the years, right. sheets. Uh, we Dixie makes fun of me and says, "If they made Star Wars toilet paper, you'd wipe your ass with Darth Vader's face." I'm like, "Yeah, I would, absolutely." <laughs> but what? What's some of your thoughts on a New Hope? Um. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it rips off everything, but you know the the old saying is that. Um, Good artists borrow, great ones steal. And I mean, yeah, this this took the plot from uh, an uh, Akira Kurosawa film, yep, The Hidden Fortress, yep, and it basically just lifts it and reskins it yep. with it, instead of there being samurai, there are uh, Jedi. Instead of there being thieves relating the tale, you've got a couple of droids. Uh, yeah, and it, they literally have swords just on the form of you know lightsabers, right? And um, as, as you mentioned earlier, it's also, it works as a Western, which is funny because Westerns and samurai films, especially like in the 60s, they were borrowing off each other all the time. Yeah, I mean, Magnificent Seven is literally a, a Western remake of Seven Samurai. Right. And and this is the space Western treatment of The Hidden Fortress. But damn it, they're both great movies, but this, uh, you know, is just next level. Who'd ever thought that you could take Nobody ever conceived of laser swords, of there being a laser <laughs> that not only goes a finite length, but you can just hold it and swing it around like a damn weapon. I don't, I can't begin to tell you how much I would pay for a real lightsaber if they existed. <laughs> oh, 
let me tell you, even if I never got to use it for anything except cutting the grass, I'd love to have one. Or just carving a Thanksgiving turkey with that that bastard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it it's great. Uh, it, and also JJ Abrams. Here's uh, something else you could that uh, you sequel directors could make. And I, again, uh, I know we're dumping all over the sequels, but it drops in a few. It, it does just a few name drops and stuff like that, like the Anakin Skywalker. It mentions Anakin Skywalker. And when you're watching uh, A New Hope for the first time, you have no idea that that's Darth Vader that they're talking nope. about. Nope. It just sounds like he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yep. And uh, that's just a few throwaway lines, basically. Yeah, and we mentioned when we was talking about Solo, you know, the film The Kessel Run. Mm -hmm. That's a pre pretty much just a throwaway line when they're trying to hire him up, uh, you know, someone to run him across the galaxy in the in the uh, cantina there. Right. Uh, let's talk about the cantina scene for a minute because that's the first time you really get to see a lightsaber used. Yes. Uh, oh, Obi-Wan, even though he's an old nation, he just whips that thing out and chops a dude's arm off and it, and he's like, hell yes. Yes. <laughs> that was the moment that every kid watching that movie wanted that weapon. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, um, You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. And I mean, we we bought that Moss Eisley was probably the da most dangerous place on that planet. No, it may be in the galaxy. Right. I mean, it was just every hoodlum and thief and rogue and con man, you know, in the galaxy, this just wheeled in there. I guess it was kind of like the, uh, I, well, I guess it was a truck stop, really. Yes. <laughs> Literally, because you'd have to pull in there to that port and refuel and get you uh ship tuned up and then you would go over there and have a little debauchery while that went exactly. on. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um that was where you went to buy your meth while you were uh getting the uh semi refilled. Yeah, that's I guess. where you got a lot lizard that was literally a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that it did we we talked all episode long about you know subverting the audience's expectations. But one of the coolest things I think in that film is when we see the Millennium Falcon for the first time, you see this big, gorgeous spaceship. And the first thing Luke Skywalker says when he says is, what a hunk of junk. Yes. <laughs> and it and that, that's something that came up over and over again, that, 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 that they, Millennium Falcon was referred to as junk, even in the sequels. You and I have talked about this, you know, off the air, but we basically come to the agreement, you know, th this was, I think it was originally a cargo freighter that Han had tricked out. He, well, Lando before him and then Han, yeah. they tricked it out where basically it was like seeing, it would be like seeing an El Camino racing in the Fast and the Furious. I mean, that thing had no right to be as fast as it was yet. It, it, somehow it did it. It, it. Literally. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the Millennium Falcon for my money is the greatest maybe movie vehicle of all time. Uh, for that very reason. And uh, this is probably, to me, the funniest of all the films. In a, in, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense because you're laughing because of how absurd it is. There's some generally funny parts in this. Like uh, when they uh, get in the trash chute and get ready to get crushed. And C-3PO <laughs> hears them celebrating because they didn't and he thinks they're dying. <laughs> yes. And then when when Han Solo was trying to get on the intercom to talk to the other stormtroopers, and he basically just says, fuck it, shoots the intercom. Yes, after and saying, says, we're getting some company now, kid. <laughs> after saying, we're fine, everything yeah. is fine. <laughs> he just pulls out his blaster and shoots the intercom. Yes, and then he chases a bunch of stormtroopers down the hallway, just 
guns blazing. Then the, the next thing you see is a bunch of stormtroopers chasing after him. It's like the Keystone Cops or something. It is. It's got some moments that generally make me laugh every time I watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you guys can get on YouTube, like somebody did a remake of the fight between Obi-Wan and Vader with, I guess, modern effects and uh, filmmaking techniques. And it is, I don't know how they did it. It's a, it's a hell of a deep fake, but I mean, it is... Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the uh, the showdown between Obi Wan and Vader uh, at the time it still was badass. By compared to something like the Phantom Menace, uh, it it's it's it doesn't really hold up. But I mean, that was the craziest thing. First of all, we thought that was the only laser sword in the galaxy. Yeah, and then Vader whips one. Damn it, Vader has one in red, designer yes. red. Yes, and and they go at it. And you think what's going to happen when two lasers? touch each other this is going to be a pretty short fight no they actually block each other they cancel each other out it was crazy wild yes and i love how obi-wan too because you're like what the hell just happened because he just disappears when the lightsaber's coming towards him it don't necessarily even make contact with him right he just vanishes and you're like what the hell right what's going on here and uh i, I mean i love this film i love you know for the most part all star wars movies with the exceptions of some that we've talked about earlier we won't rehash that shit uh, the funny thing is, is even as an adult, sometimes if I'm sick, I like to watch movies that make me feel better. And if I pulled out, a, even though it's not my number one, this makes me feel better for some reason. It's well, your chicken soup. It literally is. It, that's why I've watched it so much. Uh, there's just something about it. And here's a cool thing. You can Google this, but on New Year's Eve, if you start this movie like it, I think it's like nine... 56 or something but google it to make sure you literally hit midnight when they blow up the death star neat and I, i've done that once and needless to say i i wasn't married yet right <laughs> but let's talk about the blowing up of the death star and the magic of uh that whole sequence for its time is unbelievable the, there's nothing really to compare that whole battle sequence too except old watching world war ii dog fights or something like that yeah and, and how they pulled off of him literally flying in the trenches of death stars you know in the 70s is beyond me right and i love the fact that even though you just saw him quote unquote die that you hit you're because you got to understand everything you know about star wars now you didn't then mm -hmm. you just saw obi bite it five minutes ago right but then you hear him talking to luke yes you're like what the hell use the force luke so it really opened up your mind of what would be capable of in the force yes life after death right uh just making yourself disappear did he really die or did he just just transport somewhere what the hell's going yeah. on here it was a surprise to vader even because he was stomping on that cloak wondering where the hell obi went yeah he was <laughs> yeah he sure was <laughs> but a new hope is fantastic uh i think a lot of people will be happy that we've you know, ranked it second here. There were quite a few people who said it was best. The only thing that kept it, well, not the only thing, but you just mentioned the lightsaber duel, and it was the first one, and it was badass, but they've gotten so much better since then just for the fact they've hired better athletes. Yes. Uh, younger people. I mean, Al Alec Guinness was not a spring chicken when he made this. There was so much he was capable, only so much he was capable of at the time. Right. And uh, you literally had a bodybuilder in Darth Vader's suit, you know, fighting him. So he's not the most athletic and, like, acrobatic type of person either. Right. But for what it was and for the time, it was still badass. Right. And it still holds up. Yeah, it absolutely does. 
The other thing I'll, I'll say about that is one of the unsung heroes of the production of that film, actually unsung heroes would be Paul Hirsch and Marsha Lucas, who were the people that saved this film on the cutting room floor. They cut out so much, frankly, bad stuff that was in, especially the Tatooine part uh, that was just really extraneous to Luke's backstory. That They made this into a lean movie. Oh, yes. So, yes. Uh, and this the film, it famously lost out to Annie Hall at the Oscars for Best Picture. <laughs> Which really tells you everything you should know about the Oscars. Right. Because, I mean, it literally changed cinema, for better or worse. It, and, and very few films can, you can say that about. Right. Just a handful. It also changed uh, just uh, releasing practices because Lucas... I think pushed for this film to be released in May when most kids would still be in school. Yeah. With the assumption that these kids would watch it and everybody be talking about it Monday morning at yeah. breakfast in the cafeteria. Let's take a time since this was the first Star Wars film, but not the last one we're talking about. I want to make two points of things and one's a person and one's a, one's, you know, a thing, I guess, which you saw and heard for the first time in this film. The opening scroll is genius. Yes. I mean, and it's literally looks like it's just scrolling across the stars. And it, and it, it, the music of John Williams that hits, that hits when the opening scroll of this film and every other Star Wars film since never fails to give me chills. Never. No matter how many times I've watched it, it, it just hits. It's just perfect. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that it gives you chills. Uh, John Williams was a genius because he knew that the 20th Century Fox would be releasing that movie. Yes. And he knew that they would play that opening and fan thread. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. It, it, that opening fanfare ends in like a B-flat major chord. Yep. And then you see that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Then boom, yeah. it plays a B-flat major chord. Yes. Which basically, he he knew that the opening uh, crawl, the, uh, the, uh, the, the 20th Century Fox opening would get you psychologically prepped to be blown away by the opening strains of the the Star Wars main theme. Yeah, Damn it, I, if it doesn't do it. From I mean, and he's written so many familiar themes over here: Superman, Jaws, you name it. But for my money, that's probably the best piece of music written for film ever. Absolutely. And it's anybody that's not even seen Star Wars, if you played that, they would know that it was a Star Wars theme. And that's that's not. And he and that's. Talk about some of the other songs that he wrote. I mean, Vader's thing, the Imperial March. Right. Uh, the the little, the thing that plays for Leia, Leia's thing. Right. He, his work throughout all nine films, I guess, technically, all 11, yeah. he gets credit on. It's just as good as it gets. Crazy thing was he was picked, I think, by Lucas to, to do the score, and he was known primarily as a jazz composer. Yes. And, you know, we're talking about people – Stealing the Great Effect, a lot of his music was heavily influenced by, if it wasn't a direct ripoff of music by hosts, the planets. I mean, the Imperial March, Vader's theme, that's pretty much, you know, Mars, the bringer of war. Yes. But damn, it just works so well. This does so, so well. And I love when you kind of first hear that, I think some stormtroopers are marching in, in step with each other too, right? Yeah, we were talking about funny stuff. The funniest unintentional comedy <laughs> yeah. has got to be when the stormtrooper knocks his brains out just catching the low end of a door as it's rising up yeah and they left that shit in yes <laughs> <laughs> they definitely did but that's uh do you have anything else to add about a new hope before we move on to the number one film of the day no i'm ready all right let's play a clip from a new hope 
and then we will come back with the number one, which is no secret at this point. It will be the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I don't matter which cell this princess of yours is in. Here it is. 2187. You go and get her. I'll hold him here. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, it's like weapons malfunction, but, uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company! All right. The time has come. John's going to formally announce the greatest Star Wars film of all time. The Empire Strikes Back. I think it's unquestionable, uh, for me at least. Not only is this my favorite Star Wars film, if you made me pick my favorite film of all time period, it would probably be Empire. But John, I'll let you share your thoughts and then I'll chime in with some of mine here in a moment. Well, Empire uh, is probably the greatest middle act of any trilogy. Easily. Um, as much as A New Hope borrowed from other genres and films, I think, maybe this is my ignorance speaking, but I think Empire went in directions that really nobody ever had. Um, it was grim and uh, dismal from the word go, and it was amazing. Everything in it, though, was just, uh, it starts with the, the Rebels getting their asses kicked. Uh, you know, uh, uh Luke goes off to meet the great, the, the greatest uh, Jedi teacher of all time, and it's just a little bitty old hermit, that, a little wrinkled up, three foot green hermit. Yes, uh, crippled too, just barely yeah. able to walk. Yes, who can't speak English? He's he's eight hundred years old, and he he still <laughs> has not figured out basic syntax. <laughs> Fucked up that is. <laughs> Shit. Um, and instead of teaching Luke, you know, the ways of the Force to the fruition luke drops out yep he's like hey, i'm out <laughs> i'm out he just he, he's he's uh, thanks for getting my ship out of the muck uh i'm out and um then uh you know he goes to save his friends when and uh han solo gets sold out by his old buddy lando gets frozen the bounty hunter makes off with him mm-hmm. and then luke fights Vader, who really toys with him most of the the fight, and at the end, the first thing he tells him after he chops his da- chops Luke's damn hand off is, "I'm your father. I'm your, I'm literally your daddy." Yes. <laughs> Who's your daddy? Answer me. Literally. And that's how it ends. And that's it. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, the you mentioned. The rebels getting their asses kicked at Hoth. That's one of the greatest, you know, battles in the entire franchise, easily. Yes. Uh, you see some shit that you hadn't seen yet. That so, I mean, who didn't want? Who didn't have a toy uh, uh, Walker? Yeah, the ATAT. Yeah, or uh, ATSTs. I can't yeah. remember which it is. ATAT. That that's just phenomenal uh, design and and practical effects, uh, and 
let's talk a little bit about Han Solo wielding a lightsaber in this. Yes, which uh, he you see Luke riding around on this thing, and you know, and it, it, this is a movie like as you said off air. These, these were movies aimed at children. Yep, and it, you see. Luke riding around on this thing, the, the tauntaun is <laughs> yes. making these noises and stuff yes. like that. Uh, first one gets uh, killed and eaten by um, a wampa. A wampa, right? And then the next one, Han rides until it, it is exhausted and dies of exposure. Literally rides it to death. <laughs> rides it to death. Then he picks up Luke's lightsaber and says, This is going to stink, kid. Cuts that son of a bitch open and just tucks himself and Luke into the fat of a tauntaun to spend the night. Like a sleeping bag. Yes, like a sleeping bag. And for you all that want one, there's actually a tauntaun sleeping bag. The, the zipper's a light slaver and you literally open his guts up and sleep in it. <laughs> it's 400 bucks or I already own it. But one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all within like the first 20 minutes. Yes. And it gets grimmer from there. Right. You meet a new character, Lando Calarician, that we referenced a while ago. Uh, Played by the great Billy D. Williams. Yes. And awesome character. Yes. Awesome character. Just so many shades of gray. You can't tell whose side he's on. You think that he's Hans Fring and then he sells him out. But then he, got, uh, you know, realizes he did and, and wants to go help him get rescued. So he's pretty much playing everybody. Right. He owns his own planet, for God's sake. Yes. <laughs> he's calmed his way into owning a planet. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know if anybody's been more smoother in, that, in a cape than Billy D. Williams is in uh, this film. Yes, he's the only guy without superpowers that can get away with wearing he a cape pulls outside it of Dracula. He pulls it off. That's it. Him and Dracula. That's it. That's There's there's two. And it's, it's Dracula and Lando Calrissian. Right. But let's talk a little bit, too, uh, about Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great, late, great Peter Mayhew. You and I got to meet him. Right. Which is... Uh, and have our picture taken with him, which is something I actually cherish and I have s sitting on my office desk at work. And that's one of my favorite pictures in the world. Uh, uh, for years, our my contact photo of you was me and you standing next to Peter Mayhew. Mine still is for you. <laughs> I've never changed it. <laughs> but Chewbacca is literally the family dog of this film. And he's one of the, I guess, original characters that never got killed. And rightly so, because we would have rioted. Right. And uh, there's just something about Chewie. I mean, he never—he didn't do anything that's make weird, random noises. <laughs> but you love him. Yes. You love him. He's badass. He's a 10-foot, literally Bigfoot. I yes. Guess. <laughs> and uh, I love that they alluded to, uh, in the previous movie, though, him ripping people limb for limb. Uh, and you just always thought, my God, how strong is this bastard? Right. Yeah. But... And this this movie literally ends. I can't imagine sitting in a theater when this came out in 1980 and having all this shit hit you in the last 10 minutes and have to wait, you know, three years for the sequel. Finding out that Vader is Luke's dad. He's Anakin Skywalker. Han Solo's frozen up and literally, basically, you know, uh, hung on some fat sack's wall. Mm -hmm. Just on display like a piece of art. You've also... Uh, find find out that uh, um, God help me. We mentioned Lando is turned, but you don't know if he's good or bad. Right. There's kind of a hopeful shot at the end of 
Leia and Luke and the two droids looking out over the galaxy a little yeah, bit. Yeah, from the medical ship. Yeah, and they kind of did that in the prequels that we forget to mention about because they kind of show the two, you know, uh, the last shot of that, I believe, is uh, Obi-Wan out looking the desert. Uh, oh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which get barbecued. Yeah. <laughs> well, literally, I knew, oh, we forgot to mention that a while ago. Yeah. Burnt to a little crisp. Yes. <laughs> I smell somebody barbecuing, Joe Rogan. Smells like catfish and peppers. <laughs> oh, my God. But to me, you mentioned that this is the greatest of, you know, middle act of any trilogy. It's all, If you think about it, it's a perfect film, in my opinion. There's not a missed beat in it. And I, a lot of that credit goes to Irvin Kershner, who actually directed it. Yes. And kudos to George Lucas for creating the phenomenon of A New Hope. I mean... I think that New Hope, before it was all said and done, before this movie was released, was the highest grossing film of all time, right? I think either, so. It's either one or two. Right. So think about that. You've created a phenomenon like the world has never seen, and you have enough self-confidence of not in just your vision and script, but knowing that the sequel needs to be directed by someone else. And I think that Irvin Kushner taught him in – I think he teach a class at USC when he was in film school, Lucas. I don't know. I have no reason to, to doubt that, though. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. But he wasn't a famous director by any means. No. And he gets handed the keys to this. Can you imagine the pressure on that dude? Right. And and he nailed it, man. Knocked it out of the park. He, uh, unbelievable. And I got to say that who doesn't know the line of – think about Han Solo. I mean, this the guy is just oozes machismo. Yes. Would you, uh, he's probably, I mean, <laughs> here he knows his ass is getting frozen in carbonite. And he's been after old Princess Leia forever. I mean, he's been wanting to get at her. I mean, he, he that's no secret to right. anybody, right. including her. Right. He's been macking on her for about one and a half movies at this point. And she finally confesses her love for him right before he gets frozen. What does he say to her back? I know. I know. I, I mean, <laughs> And I, he's on the gallows. He's literally on the gallows. That's his last words. <laughs> I think that Harrison Ford made that shit up. He did. He had lived that. So good for him, because I don't know what line was written there, but it couldn't have been that good. No. So good on Harrison Ford. Right. And and so that's probably why I think Harrison Ford gets to say that shit to George Lucas of you can write this shit, but it's another thing to say it. Yeah. And the craziest thing about Harrison Ford, he came out of this by far the biggest star. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, he's one of the biggest movie stars of all time, but he was not. He was unknown. And he was literally doing carpentry work for people around Hollywood and just trying to make it as a guy character actor. Yes. And uh, so if you think about the casting, they took everybody other than Alec Guinness in the original, you know, in A New Hope was unknown. Right. So the kudos to the casting director. I don't know who that was, but they did a hell of a job. Yeah, good job not picking Al Pacino or Christopher Walken, who, believe it or not, were the other uh, choices amongst many for Can you uh, imagine Christopher Walken was <laughs> walking his on solo? Oh, my God. <laughs> How's that not been a skit somewhere on Saturday Night Live? Let the Wookiee win, Luke. <laughs> Droids don't rip people's arms out of their sockets when they get angry. But... Back to my thought a minute ago. Can you imagine sitting in a movie theater and having this shit hit? I wouldn't. You know, we've laughed over, and God help John and I. We have a macabre sense of humor. <laughs> we do. If you've not learned that by now over the last two and a half hours, forgive us. This is that's just it is what it is. 
but <laughs> when it, uh, Avengers Infinity War came out and Thanos did the snap, people freaked out the theater, especially folks that had never read that storyline in the comics. And seeing, you know, Spider-Man and Black Panther and all of them turn to dust, it literally killed a dude. A, a guy died of a damn heart attack in the theater. And for whatever reason, John and I, you can hear us now, we're laughing at that. But, God help us. But I to God, all jokes aside, I don't know how somebody didn't die of a heart attack seeing that shit go down, man, on opening weekend back yes. in 1980. And the balls, the balls on them to do that, to, to take this franchise and this, you know, we mentioned how much A New Hope makes me happy because it's just, you know, so carefree and fun-loving and basically, you know. It's you a feel-good movie. It's a feel-good movie. This is two hours of just really dark material. I mean, what would you say? It's like taking Ted Lasso and then making the second season of Ted Lasso be Game of Thrones with the Red <laughs> Wedding or something like that. I mean, it's just disturbing. It really is. And I just... I don't know. I guess they didn't have the forethought to sit cameras up there. I would love to see a crowd reaction shot on opening night when this came out. A full theater of people that had waited in line all day. Yes. Waited, you know, uh, three years to see this. Just to see a steady cam on that theater and to see their facial reaction and what they were saying and doing the last 15 minutes of this would be gold. And we're sorry for laughing about a guy dying of a heart attack because Spider-Man turned to dust. But Jesus Christ, <laughs> it happened. You can look it up. It's a true story. <laughs> they, they, they was sweeping up the theater and he was still sitting there even through the end credits. Dead in a door. <laughs> but let's get back to Star Wars, the subject at hand. We'll, we'll do a Marvel episode one of these days but not today uh you, you and i both had this at number one mm -hmm. so we ended up agreeing on almost i think we ended up agreeing on eight of 11 placements which is amazing mm -hmm. which goes back to saying that we either got abducted by aliens or hallucinated on like a sleep and our minds became as one back in 1992 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have any more thoughts on Star Wars as a whole or the specifically Empire Strikes Back? Well, it's not without its funny bits. Uh, it's not, even though you you have to have a little, you know, comic relief in a film this dark. Right. Um, it's got its intentional comedy. It's got its unintentional comedy. Intentional comedy that worked for me was C-3PO, basically a flaming robot getting dismantled, put back together by you know, the family dog. Yep. And all he does is bitch and complain about the piss poor job Chewie is doing and putting him back together. Packing him in, you know, he's got him, he's got him like somebody pulled all their arms off of like Barbies and then tried to reassemble them. I mean, he's got him in awful shape where it was so much so he pack, he's packing his ass on his back in a net yes. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, Anthony Daniels, shout out to him because he, we mentioned that you know, only a few characters sustained throughout all the films, the nine core films, the Skywalker saga. He was the voice of C-3PO through all of them and did a hell of a job. He sure did. He sure did. Um, the, uh, um, we talked about the, the creep, the space creature in the Kessel Run. I thought, you know, that was, I nearly said until I thought of this, that's the only time we see like an alien monster in outer space, but that's not true. No, they swallow them. The Millennium Fountain gets swallowed by one. Well, no, not quite. 
Well, they, they that, that's the that's thing. That's no okay. intentional company. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get to that yeah. in a second. Okay, yeah, they, they fly through the uh, asteroid field in the Millennium Falcon, and they're navigating. They're like, oh, this is some tight shit. And um, they like, oh, those, the, the cave is collapsing. No, that's a mouth closing. Those are teeth, and they fly out of a monster's mouth. Yep. I don't know the anatomy of that monster, but I'm pretty sure that the Millennium Falcon entered through the booty hole. <laughs> <laughs> And exited the mouth like the time they ate food backwards on South Park where they'd shove it up their ass and shit it out their mouth. Wait, you're correct. And the crazy thing is, is they get out of the ship and, and roam around, I guess it's the stomach. Yes. And it's got other shit flying around in there. It's still alive that it's eat. Yes. Bat looking shit, you know, yeah, like giant bats. Yes. Yeah. But, but, which is basically just a giant bat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it gets pissed because it feels them walking around because it starts rumbling a little bit when they first put their feet down on him. Yes. <laughs> but, but somehow them just going from his asshole to his stomach didn't piss him off too bad. Well, if <laughs> Maybe he liked it. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, I would say we lost control of this episode, but we never had it. <laughs> we... God Almighty! <laughs> How many times have we referenced someone's asshole? On this I don't know. I, we never got any. We never matured. We just got older. We're just basically gray-haired adolescents. Well, I, that is true, but that goes for any you know male friends when they get together. You immediately revert to asshole and dick jokes, no matter yes. how old you are, and, and that's it goes to, without saying. If you've listened for the last two and a half hours, you've heard many of those jokes. Hopefully, a few of them have landed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a Empire Strikes Back just accomplishes so many things it really had no right to. Yeah, and. I can't imagine the weight that people had to go through from 1980 to 83 to get a resolution to this, man. And uh, I would have to say that episodes four, five, and six as a standalone trilogy as a whole is my favorite trilogy of all films. Uh, there's, I mean, all three of them are great, but this is my favorite. And I, uh, I get kudos to everybody involved to the, you know, even the, you know, like you mentioned, the editors of A New Hope a while ago, they saved the entire franchise, really. Yes. They probably would have never been a second film had it not been for those folks. And I think it was a man and wife, wasn't it, at the time? It well, was, it was it was George's wife, uh, Marsha Lucas. Yes. They're, they're not together anymore, I don't think. But, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, you're but, right. Uh, I mean, it was like God-level editing uh, that Paul Hirsch and Marsha Lucas uh, did. And, uh, I mean, you know, that, that's true that, uh, sometimes films are made in the editing room. Absolutely, or broken. Right. Uh, well, there's just so much to say about Empire. Uh, I hope people have been pleased with our rankings of this. <laughs> if not, send your hate mail to me and not John. <laughs> he's just an innocent bystander. <laughs> I don't know about innocent. <laughs> well, he's a bystander. <laughs> <laughs> and we did warn you ahead of time. So if at any point during the record that. If you listen to this episode, if you have listened through speakers at work and the boss has come and got on you, that's on you. If your kid has looked at you funny and asked what these two assholes are talking about, we warned you from yes. the get-go. We're, we're sorry that 
you're going to have some uncomfortable conversations either with your boss or your kid or even your significant other. Right. Don't say you wouldn't warn from the first minute, though, folks. Right. And let me say to my family, Aiden, Taylor, Savannah, Piper, <laughs> if you're listening to this, I'm very disappointed in you. Krista, if you've listened to this, I'm sorry, honey. I know that Dixie's, she generally listens to everything, but on a very long episode, she don't get through. I don't think she's going to get through this. And if you did, Dixie, I love you. <laughs> if you did, I'm so sorry. And I'll have to stay in hiding for a while. I can't face you. <laughs> but this has been a blast, John. Thanks again for taking time to drive all the way over here from where you live, an hour and a half away. And I guess counting our lunch break, we've been doing this for four hours now. Yep. Uh, it's going to end up being about a three-hour episode, easily the longest one of that one show to date. And happy Star Wars Day to everybody out there listening. And every day should be Star Wars Day. And may the fourth be with you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. You do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. That one show is brought to you by The Goblin Trading Company and is written, recorded, and produced by me, Brian Combs, most of the time right on my kitchen table. If you enjoy this show, I ask that you please share it with others that you think may like it as well. And in the meantime, check out that one show on social media, either on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or all of the above. Thanks for listening. And until next week, spin that black circle.